listening to The Duck Podcast, episode 16, Super Duck. Okay, in five, four, three. And welcome back to The Duck Podcast. We are here. It is February 24th, 2011. It's Yuri's birthday, but is. Yuri is summarily not present. Is it today? <laughs> oh, yeah, it is today. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Let me check my calendar. So a long time ago, he wrote, is Yuri's birthday in my calendar? Because I think he was, like, answering the calendar question on Google Calendar. Like, what event would you like to add? Is I don't know. Somehow that was the answer to the question. But anyways, um, so it's always been in my You've calendar. You've just had like a that. recurring event, yeah, yes, for the longest for, time. Like, since, like, grade 10. So that's great. Um, yeah, so the big news today, uh, well, I guess we should cover our equipment for the day. Um, we've got um, my usual Apex uh, condenser mic from yeah, last and time. I'm still running on my uh, Sure PG48, which is now has a fresh dent from the last event that we went fresh to. Fresh dents. Fresh dent. Yay. Yeah. And uh, um, we all have matching mic stands. We're going through the Mackie that I got several podcasts ago. In fact, that was like the first podcast to go. And we're still running through the Eddie Roll, which has been a t- very t- good performer. Which I've learned is actually called the Eddie Roll. That is what we refer to it in our department yeah. at the university. Which is also which is called the Cakewalk now. They don't market it as yeah, such it's anymore. Cakewalk. It's Cakewalk. Yeah, like so it's the same brand as like the <laughs> Walking on Cakes, but the same brand as the audio software. So maybe people can like relate and be like, "Look, it's I have the hardware. That's the same thing as the software or something." Like that. Because they love being like M Audio. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, and then we're recording to the usual Audacity, which will end up in GarageBand and end up on Podcast Generator. Yeah, and hopefully this will work out. Actually, it's been working out because I've been recording radio stations uh, for several days now just to collect station IDs and stuff like that with this computer. So I just – anyway, this is uh, basically the computer that runs the studio now is – our old Windows server, so it used to run Windows Server 2003, now it runs Windows 7. Also, it's got all new guts, so it's actually not the same machine anymore. This is uh, the e, uh, it's an E4300 Core 2 Duo, which used to be my dad's computer, but then he got a uh, Core Series board, so we just swapped that out. I put that into this rack case, and now it's the studio computer. And it's great to have dual core because I can actually process without... Uh, Without burning up the CPU, whereas the old studio computer is now at Joel's house doing web TV with yes, its Rambus glory. The Rambus, which um, praise overkill or I don't know, but anyways, so that's later for when we're talking about the home sita. Mm-hmm. Um, last deck podcast was episode fifteen, which is not actually An episode, uploaded but... <laughs> yet. I was uploading it right now, but I realize now that the server is probably not configured for files that size, etc., etc., etc. So I have to rehash my dream host before I upload. Mm-hmm. And last um, last time was a big telecommunications festival because we had the podcast going not locally but through various mediums. We had it going yeah, on the phone network or through the, the cellular phone, network on Skype through the yeah cellular on my new iPhone. Um, I think we yeah. If so, if you haven't heard it yet, it's probably gonna be uploaded at the same time. Be sure to go back and re- listen to that one first. Although we really don't remember what went on that one, so yeah. Well, we'll the two things, the, the same two things, things anyway. were, yeah. We were setting up the uh, uh, the old Dimension twenty two hundred, which is a computer that has had a long legacy with us. Yes, very. We've done like everything with it. We've done colocation. It's and now it serves its duty as a routing device. Um, yes, indeed. October twenty third. Yeah. Oh no, twenty eighth, twenty third. Assemble rotor readers and two TVs. So then we were also setting up the. Um, 
the uh, TV wall that day. Yeah, and yeah. that was a, a display at the Art Gallery of mm-hmm. Alberta. And so there's videos on that, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But um, yeah, so that's what happened last time. That was October 23rd of last year. But it's really it's been a, quite a while since we've had an actual podcast with audio equipment and not made it well, a random stuff. Yeah, right? and the last time, okay, so then the episode before that was Epic Fail, which we we had all the equipment, but then we decided to record it with the built-in mic anyway. <laughs> and then episode 13 was a video. And then there was just audio extraction. And then before that was a 12-1. So that must have been on a uh, some sort of portable device. So really, it's been since HTRversary 3, which was in 2009. Yeah. That we did an actual, something that was actually actual decent podcast, quality. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we hope you're all appreciating the lovely high-quality audio of the Apex condenser microphone. Um. Which is good. Okay. So, breaking news today. It is February 24th, which will go down in history as the day of the lightning bolt. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Apple has just released their um, new MacBook Pros, which I've been anticipating quite... uh Uh-oh. The clip off your headphones just, like, blew break right off. (laughs) (laughs) Does this positioning have anything to do with Steve Jobs' birthday or anything Um, at Apple? They say it's a number of things. For one thing, they they didn't want to do it. Normally, Apple released things on Tuesday. Um, but Monday was a presidential holiday. Patch Tuesday or what? (laughs) No, it's just they, you know, they want to do it. Tuesday's a good day because um, over the weekend, some of the, you know, media outlets, sometimes they're not always back on the ball on Mondays, so they do it on Tuesdays so that they can get maximum coverage sort of thing. Because on Mondays, you know, they might be covering stuff from the weekend and all this, so Tuesday is a good day to do it. Um, but they there was a holiday, so they were worried about you know late news people, blah blah blah. That's at least that's what they say, and they reschedule it to a Thursday. Um, it's also in line with I guess when although Intel probably just followed the leader sort of thing, um, but uh, Intel w- was launching. Uh, I don't know if the news is out yet. It's eleven forty eight, so they're probably just wrapping up their news conference now about um, the lightning bolt. Uh, sorry, thunderbolt. Thunderbolt, yeah. It's such a weird name. <laughs> Everything about the name, like it was previously called Light Peak, which is what I want to keep calling it, um, which was sort of, you know, it's very vague. Like Intel's been very vague about the whole thing, and even now it's still vague about what it is. Um, it, it started out as an optical, a fiber optic technology. It was sort of the, the promise of sort of being this infinitely expandable um, silicon based, you know, fiber optic high speed bus sort of thing but that it would just sort of be your or high-speed interconnect i should say it wasn't necessarily a bus um and so intel's been developing that for a while it's been all this rumored stuff well is it going to you know beat out usb 3.0 or what what's going to happen it doesn't even have a connector or anything so then there started rumors circulating about how apple is going to be using it and then a couple days ago there was pictures of these new macbook pros that came out today and it was showing the display port as being um, Thunderbolt capable. Thunderbolt, yeah, well, a Thunderbolt. And then they had packaging pictures and all this. So it turns out that um, Thunderbolt, for now at least, is running over display port, mini display port. I should say mini display port because it's not display port, it's mini display port um, on the Macs. Right now, they're basically the only products that have them is these new MacBook Pros that you can go and buy today. Um, and it doubles as I th- as both a display port or a um it's a bus it's uh, an it's interface bus. bus system where you can chain more than one device exactly. together yeah so you can daisy chain things off it it's it's based 
uh, partly in PCI Express. So that's sort of the protocol, I guess you could say they're using. It's very hard to you know tell because you know we can't handle these, and there's no products that actually use it yet, and you know so we'll, it's, it's, time will tell. We do know it's ten ten gigabits. Um, is the initial like at this point the yes, link speed right would, now. is supposed to be ten gig? Um, it's supposed it's... to be scalable up to one hundred gig, and so at some point yeah. in the future, the the reason why they're using PCI Express is that apart from the RAM bus, it's about the the highest bandwidth interface in a computer these days. Exactly that you can add things to because you can't just add things to RAM on the fly or anything like that. So, I mean, direct memory access, of course, right? But exactly, and and you know, it's it's important to have these. Oh, look. Wikipedia has uploaded, updated to Thunderbolt. It has been suggested that this article be merged into Thunderbolt, Intel. Discuss. <laughs> um, that's hilarious because yesterday we were just looking at this Lightpeak article and now it's like, look, we've merged and it's a Thunderbolt. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of the protocol. We don't really know. Like they're showing it with the, I guess there's this, it's called Promise, which is sort of ironic because it's like the promise of the Thunderbolt coming into a new product, but it's like a Promise uh, raid box. Um, they show it tied to that. But you can chain it, and then you can add a display at the end. So you can, like, chain a bunch of raids together, maybe some video devices, audio devices. You can do up to six and then throw a display on to the end. So what's really interesting about this is it, is it really does change what you can do with um, a laptop system. Um, you know, you haven't really been able to do this sort of thing um, off a laptop like if you wanted like right now we're discussing at the university um, how we're going to get these new um, I'd have to look up the name again but you know really high-end audio interface that basically runs exclusively through PCI Express on a Mac Pro um, and particularly on the Mac like that is your IO sort of thing unless you're going to use FireWire 800 or whatever so you're somewhat limited in that regard so this really means that you can really run your studio off a laptop now because it's just going to be PCI Express or thing yeah. well previously laptop. on laptop technology the way you got expansions with was with docking stations that was the only way you got ex- or express card got, express card yeah, PCMCA yeah, yeah, any yeah. kind express of express card, card is also PCI Express based right but for yeah. like like express card was usually limited because you, you would only have one port yeah. and there was no way to expand it or or you know have an express card to like express card splitter or something like that like yeah. and so. the and the 17-inch MacBook Pro still has on um, the express card but it's still actually the express card is only 1.5 gigabits so um and that's you know one you can't do you know six chain together or anything like that so that's that's pretty a pretty big deal um it goes from 13 inch all the way to the 17 inch they have the uh express or the yeah the thunderbolt and there are rumors that the new iPads will have thunderbolt as well which would be very very interesting because if it's PCI Express based, like, do you have PCI Express buses on a device like that? Like, I mean, does that even exist? Oh, what kind of device though? Like, like that would imply that somehow <laughs> Intel has been part of the development of this, the iPad. Like, that doesn't, like, there's nothing Intel about the iPad at all. It's all custom silicon. So that that would be interesting. Although, the, you know, the whole standard is a collaboration between Intel and Apple, right? It, it is a collaboration, it's, you're right. It's got to be... But it is yeah. sort of Intel, you know, they developed it, and they sort of... The idea is that Intel's going to keep it on their board sort of thing and, and, and do all that. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what, you know... And, of course, the iPad 2 is going to be coming out um, in the next few days here, actually. Um, there's been an invitation sent out for a media event, which is going on at March 2nd. So that's just a couple days away. It's uh, next week or something. Uh, yeah, less than a week away. So that's pretty exciting. Um, 
but let's just talk a little bit more about these MacBook Pros. Um, so they've got the light peak, light peak, by which I mean lightning bolt. Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt. <laughs> it's Thunderbolt. Like, there, there's nothing... Th- like, a, a Thunderbolt is not... That's sound. A thunder is sound. That's what I even get. Is it, or that's why I get confused. It's like, lightning has thunder. It's the sound. So then why would you call it Thunderbolt? You know, like, it's just weird. Yeah. Maybe to make sure that it's clear that it's... Because it's interesting. It's, Apple, not, it's not just electrostatic discharge onto your computer. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, Intel has always been marketing as, oh, it's, it's optical. It's optical. And then they're like, oh, but it, 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 it's running over... Over fiber, not fiber. Over copper. Copper. Yeah. The so, only thing is, like, you with all high-speed interfaces, it's not entirely necessary that you go through fiber. Fiber has the length and distance advantage, no, but really, fiber does not make it faster or anything, right? It's the, it's the. It's it just the, makes it more complex. It's the protocol, or it's the lane width, or it's the clock speed that makes an interface fast. Not, exactly. Not the medium. But there's something so. Um, romantic about optical oh in the future everything will be optical. you mean that's that's why bell that, is calling that, their service five yeah, like we love calling things calling optical optic. like yeah, that just you know, makes us so excited not, about yeah. everything so <laughs> um yeah so that's uh the thunderbolt um and maybe i will get used to saying it i don't know um but then other than that um the macbook pros do have um quite a few bumps um they're saying that the the uh, both the processor and the graphics are basically doubling the performance of these MacBook Pros. 13-inch is now running a Core i5 at 2-point-something gigahertz. Um, and they are these are the latest um, Sandy Bridge processors. Um, it's got, it, it, they've dropped the NVIDIA cards across the board. It's now just running the Intel HD 3000, which have been shown to actually outpace the um, NVIDIA cards that were in the 13-inch MacBook Pro already. So um, that does sound like an improvement, mm-hmm. but we and, have to yeah, see. Yeah. And then on the high-end models, they're offering ATI graphics now. AMD. ATI Same doesn't thing. exist. <laughs> right? I, I'm used to the Canadian company, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, and they, yeah, no, ATI, it's, it's now AMD, so that's what they're calling it. Um, what's interesting about the 13-inch is previously it was, um, uh, there was about 10 hours of battery life. Um, and then the 15 and 17 were guarding 8 to 9. And now it's just seven across the board. So that's actually quite a dip. And I was a little bit surprised, a little bit disappointed with that. Um, there's been t- there had been talk with the rumors and everything that they would sort of be um, ditching the optical drive, doing some interesting stuff with SSD, um, making it thinner and lighter, um, increasing battery life. Um, none of that happened. It's basically still the old case. Um, the old everything, the basic, it's just Thunderbolt and new new graphics and, and, and uh, hardware mm-hmm. and uh, well, processor. The battery cap- capacities are 60, about 63 and 77 and 93, I think, is uh, watt hours of on the lithium yeah, polymers. So, right. you know, it scales al- along with the physical hardware size and, I guess, yeah. the, the trade-offs. I mean, obviously, when you rate a laptop through, like, hours of battery life, that's never uh, an accurate It's not, number, really. Right? And, so, and it all depends about how you're using it. And obviously, these these new processors, I mean, they're double the speed, but I mean, I think realistically, you could probably get more than seven hours hours out of most of them. I mean, depending on what you're depending doing. on what you're doing. If you're encoding video the whole time, probably not, right? Exactly. Oh, of course not. Yeah. It's like anything. So, so let's talk about a uh, turbo booster, the new Intel yeah, technology so that allows a processor to go above specification. As long as some other specification is within spec. For example, if the temperature is okay, then they'll crank it up a bit. And it will exceed TDP, which is the total dissipated power of the processor temporarily, 
which I don't know like how long this temporary moment is, but it, it basically it can it will overclock itself slightly. Yeah. Depending it, on conditions. Uh, all these processors will go. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I shouldn't say all of them, but most. Um, the, they say up to 3.4 gigahertz um, for some of these, um, and so that's quite you know a boost, especially when you need you know that that. Um, What's the opposite of parallel computing? You need um... serial computing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. It, you know, you're just trying to clock through that that particular process. You know, you can't yeah. you can't split it up into multiple threads. Threads. Stuff like that, Speaking yeah. of threads, um, there's eight threads on the quad cores. Yeah. So they've got quad core. That's what's really interesting. And I'd sort of been dreaming about this for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I even got... in previous Duck podcasts, yeah, we were no, talking I was like, about how I Joel want really a quad core yeah, exactly. laptop. laptop. So not only is it quad core, but it's got hyper threading. So all these, you know, these new um, these new Sandy Bridge processors have hyperthreading. So on the base 13 inch, you get dual core, but then it's hyperthread, so it's four virtual cores. And then on the, the it's, as soon as you hit the 15 inch mark, you get quad cores, and and then you get hyperthreading. So it's eight cores. So um, and that's the i7. Um, it's it's pretty sweet. I, I'm looking forward to that. Of course, the, you know, I, I should mention that I'm probably going to be buying one of these fairly soon. Like I've got, got the cash together. I've I've had my MacBook for almost five years now. It'll be five years in May. Um, so just short of five years, I'll be renewing my computer. And so yeah, I, that's sort of my plan is to go with the 15 inch. 15 inch weighs basically the same amount, the same weight as my current MacBook. So I figure that the the lugability will sort of remain the same, and I also feel like um, with the with the iPads and everything else that maybe I might be you know bringing my computer around less often. Um, I think my lifestyle, I suppose you could say, <laughs> has changed a little yeah. bit, um, especially with the iPhone. Like I, I, it used to be times where you know I just I wouldn't leave my house without my laptop, but now I sort of you know I can go places without it. It's it's not as important because I have pocket computing. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you iPad, you know, depending on whether or not I invest in an iPad, we'll see. So the, your biggest issue right now is do you want 13 or 15 inches? Given that the 13-inch yeah. hasn't improved as significantly as you initially hoped, you were looking for higher screen resolutions, very good dedicated graphics. Well, no, the, the, I, I think the 15-inch the has definitely improved. I'm really happy with the 8-core uh, or the 8-quad-core with hyperthreading. The, the, the main thing is, is that um, the 13-inch hasn't improved as much as I thought it would. There had been talk that the 13-inch would receive um, a high-res display. It, I really don't understand why they're still at 1280 by 800 when the MacBook Air 13-inch is much higher resolution. It's 1440 or something by 900. So they've really upped the resolution, but then they didn't do it on the Pro, which just doesn't it doesn't add up, right? Like, why would you have it as the same uh, resolution as as the old one. So that was kind of awkward. And then also they didn't put any dedicated chip in the 13 inch. So still the Intel HD 3000, which I, I, I've, you know, maybe it's just the GMA 950 that I have, but I've regretted having integrated graphics since I bought the machine. Cause that's the one thing you can't really upgrade. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I've been, I've been sort of craving more screen space. Um, I think, you know, for the longest time I've had J quad, um, or, or a second PC sort of thing to work with. Um, and so I've sort of enjoyed that extra screen real estate um, and sort of re- running the two computers sort of thing. But I think that, that once I get a 15-inch MacBook Pro, that it sort of be a return to the single 
computer all-in-one sort of thing. Um, I'll probably set up jQuad as a server downstairs, you know, out of the way on its UPS and everything, so everything's all backed up. on Because now that with so. your new computer, you'd be able to drive that massive 25, 2560 by whatever display. display. You know, I'll be able to drive everything, and I'll feel comfortable using it because right now, you know, it just it would be weird with the 13-inch. I'm going to buy a little stand or whatever for it and mm-hmm. set it all up. So And um, I was looking into some of these products that, like, split up your DVI into two displays, and then you can, like, plug into something. I would try that out and get a, mm-hmm. you know, some town with long, yeah, long yeah. road. They, those have products money. have existed for, like, multi-projector applications, crazy yeah. stuff like that, too. So, But I, I've always seen them as VGA, and I always thought that that was kind of cheesy, that it wasn't going to work properly. But I guess they're, they're for DVI, too, so that might be interesting to take mm-hmm. Actually, in fact, from a technical standpoint, DVI is probably easier to get data into the, the chipset instead of having to take the analog mm-hmm. And rescale it, right? Cause well, you exactly. To, You're just right, working so. with bits. Yeah. And actually, the one I was, uh, saw at the university, it's, it's DisplayPort. And then you just use adapters to um, bring it into DVI. So that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So from a technical standpoint, uh, would these be running a i7-2820QM is, is with the processor mm-hmm. model? Yeah, these? I think yeah. that's the one. And, uh, Which is, would be the 2.3 gigahertz uh, rated clock speed. And with turbo, it can go up to 3.4 gigahertz, was what you were saying. So um, the 2.3 is built to order. It's stock um, for the 15 inch. That is it's stock 2.0 um, or 2.2 for the higher end model. Um, the 13 inch is a little bit different because it's dual core, and so it's stock 2.3 i5, or you can get the next model up, which is 2.7 i7. So it's probably the 2720 in that case. It was like 100 megahertz less, or <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, when I look at clock speed, I almost feel like that that's sort of very deceiving. And they still use that as sort of like a benchmark for um, performance. I'm not sure. It's a benchmark for performance for single for a single thread. It will run that single process know, faster, but, right? And as, but but and, if yeah. you're running, if you've got this acceleration now that can bump it up, like, what does that even mean? What does what does the base clock speed... I mean, I, okay, fine, because it's always running and rated to run at 2.2. Yeah. But it doesn't seem as relevant to me. Anymore. It's like a speed... It's like enhanced speed step that goes plus instead of just, like, negative or half, half or one multiplier mm-hmm. it can it can it can go above the rated clock speed as well which is i think it's just a derivative of, of speed step is really how you can look at it yeah. i mean in a mobile application being able to have your processor flexibly adjust its own clock speed is extremely important so yeah and then the other thing is is um with the 15 inch there's two models um is you can get the base so the in terms of graphics you've got the amd radeon HD 6490M with 256 megs of graphics memory. That's GDDR5. Um, or you can get the next model up. So you've got that better processor, but then you also get a gig of graphics memory. With the 6750. Uh, with the 6750M. Yeah. So that's somewhat interesting. Um, it's, like, it's like $400 more. You get a couple extra you know, bonus things. You get like... Uh, a bigger hard drive or something like this. And for a lot of us, like, we tend to, like, keep our laptops until they, like, literally die of, like, power yeah. supply failure. Well, and most <laughs> of it has been mostly, you know, case. And I think that the metal, you know, will be a big improvement in that regard. Like, uh, if I think about how much more durable, you know, design-wise this computer is going to be, it, it's going to be a fairly significant improvement. Like, I mean, everything about it is not going to wear down. Like, I mean, the, the case is metal, so that's not going to wear down. Mm-hmm. The the 
trackpad is made of glass, so that's not ever going to wear down. Um, the the button is a lot less foofy. It's not made of plastic like the you know these the, that tends and that's to wear the thing, out as well. Uh, well, I mean, this is a classic for for the the pro rate grade models, right? Mm-hmm. They've always made them out of some form of metal. Yeah. Uh, since, but even since then, G four, right? So that's true. But I mean, some of the older, before the aluminum yeah. unibody, mm-hmm. um, there's still a lot of plastic components, still a lot of things that can sort of fall apart, sort of thing. I, I think the the rely the the durability of these computers um, is is quite a step up. And so, anyways, I, I guess I'm saying is maybe you know, if I can go for six years out of my next computer, all the better. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of what my planned investment is. You know, I'm hoping that uh, it, it'll do, get me through six years. Yeah, and serviceability is going to get even more painful now. But <laughs> Well, you mean to re- replace parts and stuff? Or <laughs> replace what you parts. I mean, because you have. I mean, your laptop and my laptop are quite old now, and we've changed a bunch of parts out in each of them. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> yours is well, just and, and, and fun- But the funny thing off, is, yeah. is, like, I mean, this this MacBook here i'm using it'll probably still have plenty more years of use as in different as long as you keep feeding it batteries feeding it back well (laughs) i mean i probably won't use it as a machine but you know probably sit somewhere but it'll do it'll be working working away doing whatever so yeah yeah so yeah that's that's the new macbook pros um are you thinking of getting an ssd on yours if you're gonna get one that's the other question is is uh, there had been rumors and all this about you know maybe there'd be some interesting ssd options for um these new macbook pros um, they haven't really done much. They, you know, it's still basic model. You get a hard drive. Um, you've got the optical drive. They're talking about ditching that. That didn't happen. Um, and they, or they're talking about options of switching out the optical drive for a second drive, an SSD or, you know, whatever. Um, there wasn't any of that. I, I, I think SSDs, I've seen the, the huge improvement in performance. I think it will be eventually sort of thing. Um, it's hard to say. It's hard to say how well, you know, once I evaluate the performance of it, um, then I'll see, you know, well, would an SSD be appropriate here? You know, 128 gigs, which would probably be a reasonable, you know, uh, priced option for me, um, is actually not a lot of space, especially if we're talking about going to the, the, one, the one computer sort of thing. Um, I want everything on there, you know. And so 128 gigs, especially if I want to run Windows or whatever on a second partition in boot camp, which I do do on the MacBook, um, it might not be enough space. So I might be looking at 256 and, and, and waiting a bit for that price to go down. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, interesting. I mean, uh, well, it'll be interesting to see the one terabyte SSDs. They're going to show up someday and yeah, that'll that'll be be, that will be exciting. And then you'll really have to think long and hard about whether or not – you want the because now at that point the the space advantage will be well, but it'll still be right? the the price. the price the price will be the yeah. deciding factor. And I mean, hard drives are still getting bigger, so yep. it's hard to say. But so yeah, that's the the new MacBook Pros. Um, the iPad Two is scheduled to come out next week. Um, they've already sent out an invite, and they've got a picture of the iPad there, so it's definitely coming. Um, they, there's all this talk about whether or not it, it's going to be an incremental upgrade or a revolutionary upgrade. They're saying that I, you know, the iPad three could be coming out fairly soon after sort of thing, like a matter of months later. Um, and that, that would be sort of a huge redesign sort of thing. So it's hard to say what's going to happen. Um, either way, it's always good news. Um, whether you're looking for a new one or you want to buy the old model for cheaper. I don't know about if Kevin, if you're interested in that, but, um, Oh, by the way, I know a guy who's selling a 64-gig 3G if you want to 
buy his. He's interesting selling a bit of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's going to have a camera probably. Well, undoubtedly. I mean, Apple's been going on and on about this for a while now, this uh, FaceTime. So, uh, camera. Um, resolution of the display probably isn't going to change. Um, probably better, more RAM, et cetera, et cetera. Um, have you been able to do FaceTime on the current Macintosh platform already? Or Yes. In fact, they announced it today that you can buy it. If you don't have it, uh, it like if you don't have, if you, you buy a new computer today, it'll include it because um, it was in beta and it was free. But now it's going to be 99 cents from the App Store because of some accounting hoo-ha ridiculousness, which is like, okay, Apple, you're nuts. But mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's going to be 99 cents if you don't have it. If, you don't, if you're buying a new computer, it's going to be on it for free. So. Right. Um, so that's FaceTime. And yeah, I don't know. The iPad 2, I'm not that excited. I'm just sort of like, eh, okay. My dad's talking about how like he wants to buy a pair of new iPads and be like, I'm going to video conference with people while I'm away for four weeks. And I'm like, Okay, Dad, you're nuts, but okay. Does that rank among the Canon yeah. SLR escapade? Uh, yeah. And yeah, anyways, my dad can be a little bit cuckoo. Um, okay, Mac App Store, uh, underwhelming. Uh, Mac OS X Lion, uh, there was a few more details, or a beta, a developer beta was released, so if you're a developer, you can go download Mac OS X Lion. Um, and apparently it's got... Uh, some interesting features, like, it, it, you know, they're talking about going back to the Mac, which with the previous Apple event, and so they're talking with the MacBook Air back in the fall. And they're talking about sort of moving to this idea that apps are always running in the background sort of thing, and so you can sort of, your state is always maintained in the app, which actually kind of drives me crazy, the control freaks out of me, but we'll see how it's implemented. But that's sort of what they're talking about, is that apps never really close um, and if you go to sleep or you restart, they're back where you started sort of thing. So that's kind of interesting. Um, that's an idea that they took from the... From the iPad yeah. and, and the iPhone. Um, they're talking about um, full screen, a lot of full screen emphasis. Apparently the windows are now more Windowsy. They are now, like for the longest time, Mac apps have always had that corner that you... Well, I think since the beginning, you've only been able to resize the window from the bottom right-hand corner. Yeah, and the, like you could re, you could minimize it to like a bar. That was it, right? And maybe no yeah, ma- exactly. full maximize. <laughs> yeah, and there's never been really so. This is going to be a bit of a change. Um, you you'll be able to resize windows from any corner, which is like crazy for a Mac user. Um, anyway, uh, so that's interesting, and that's sort of the news about macOS and Line. The rest of us were always wondering, where's the maximize button? Yeah, like, I mean, I think it's sort of, it, it probably is that. It's partly just familiarity, you know, that just, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, so that's what, apparently what they're doing. Um, you know, that's, these are just going to converge someday. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It'll just be like one technology. Well, exactly. It's going to converge. That's that's sort of the inevitable, right? But um, So, yeah, that's the Apple news. We shouldn't go, I think we've gone for about half an hour just on Apple news. And I mean, that's what the Duck Podcast is about. Just on Apple News. <laughs> but we like we like analyzing it. Um, Shabbat Global thoughts. Well, um, basically, in the U.S., this has been a, a very common case where the media network owns the media content as well, because the, it's 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 about the rights. And Global was Canwest was conveniently in some 
economic issues at that point. And initially, they jokingly said, you know, if global's really worth nothing, we'll buy it for a dollar. And uh, and it actually ended up happening, not for a dollar, but they did end up purchasing the rights to global. And, uh, and now... Buying any of their stations, like if they can't handle them, they'll buy these. And they did; they bought a few of their stations. Exactly. Them. Actually, all, all of the all of the TV network. Now, the in this case, the uh, newspaper, like the print media side, split off from mm. from the rest of Canwest, exactly. which is an interesting change. But uh, but for the television and specialty cable channel, well, that's part of television. But I meant like local television versus special. Specialty television stations um, are all owned by Shaw Media now, and uh, and so now kind of, yeah, kind of crazy when you get like parentheses and right angle bracket Shaw yeah, exactly. global, and it just <laughs> it blows my mind every time I see it, and like the news ends, and it's like company shaw and i'm like no no it's not shaw no part of shaw media partly because i've grown up in this little like world of mine where i've avoided cable all my entire life like i've never had cable we've always had ota over the air like antenna sort of thing and you know it's just sort of this like oh shaw is for people who spend money on cable and And now it's now they're ever watching i mean prior yeah and prior that we don't watch a ridiculous (laughs) amount of tv anyway but like I don't know. It's so weird having Shaw infiltrate my OTA experience. Exactly. That's that's but, how I describe but it. But even prior to this, uh, Shaw had owned Star Choice and finally have fully glommed over Star Choice and renamed it Shaw Direct. So mm-hmm. now consumers are utterly confused because you buy, you go out and buy a cable box or a, no a television set top receiver. And you look at both, and there's, like, one that says Shaw Direct. The Direct is in, like, six-point font. You can never see the Direct part of it. And then there's the other box that says Shaw. And they look exactly the same because Motorola makes both the satellite and the cable qualm. So you have a lot of people going home with satellite receivers when they really wanted a cable cable. box? Yeah, it just just doesn't work out too well. Um, But, I mean, it just says that they own the network. They own the fiber network. They own the satellite network. Now they own the content. So they're trying to vertically integrate this whole thing. And, I mean, they have the last mile to your house so starting at the content source the, the talent to your <laughs> house talent. it's just <laughs> it's wild and and what i i'm always surprised when i open to resident of you know 41 um from shaw because they're always sending us notes you know like please join shaw you know and i'm always surprised at how expensive it is like it, it's ridiculous like how much how much you pay for cable cables like like at least because they, they they show you you know it's like oh you it's pay, only ten dollars yeah, it's ten dollars yeah, yeah. but it's for always like, for like a month and then for three months and then that's an it's like special forty dollars yeah. per service yeah so you're paying like if you want if you got the phone you got everything it's like hundred and twenty bucks a month or something like this mm-hmm. and well, with see, Telus yeah. I'm paying like eighty for everything everything in the world and I have decent services because they're not like I have real pots yeah I have real well okay fine it's internet. But the upload speed's good. The download speed is decent. You know, of course, it's not cutting edge, but I don't have to buy cable with it, and I don't have to pay double the price. Yeah. Well, Shaw, almost, doesn't, Shaw doesn't force you to buy cable TV with internet. That's well, definitely but it's not fifteen more. At which point, yeah. you can just buy cable. Like you <laughs> might as well point, just get yeah. it, right? Yeah, exactly for five bucks yeah. more or whatever. And I, as I almost yeah. feel like you know, writing back from this little letter, you know, to the resident of, you know, writing back, like you know, Shaw, get with the program. Like this, what I want is cheap internet. And a very basic cable, a cable that basically is OTA delivered on a little coax. That's what I want. Yeah. yeah. And and you know I I think that that's that's the remaining market, right? Like I mean they just need to 
lower their prices because it's sort of I, I feel like it's artificially inflated. Like I don't think I mean yes they're investing in their infrastructure, but we all know they have piles of money because they're obviously buying, buying out everyone yeah. Can West. Like <laughs> and I guess if that's part of their plan, whatevs. Um, but I, I don't know. It seems like they're screwing their customers. You know, for it's very expensive. At least that's my impression of things. Mm-hmm. Well, the the thing is, like most of Shaw's customer come from before the days when the network providers were trying to glom into each other's territory, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm a big pro- proponent of using whoever is best at what. Like I do not argue of having Telus for t- for telephone service. Pots is definitely. Uh, arg- like unarguably the best service from a technical standpoint and coax was the original method of delivering television since the 70s and still is leading it's quite the best in in the quality st- i mean short of over the air uncompressed hd or whatever right mm-hmm. but but for, from a wireline standpoint that's about the best you're going to get right mm-hmm. and uh and now Telus is offering their television offerings, which is Success. which is at a well, yeah. From a technical standpoint, it is it is not as good. I mean, the idea sounds good because instead of pushing out all the content to the consumer and having the consumer's hardware pick out what they want to watch, it sends out a request for one channel stream, and the head end, or I guess in that case the uh, what do we call it? the slam, is the technical end and is responsible for returning the content to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And that's only the thing that they're watching. So it's very on-demand, you know. It's very on-demand, yeah. Want this, get this. But so, at the same time, it's yeah. sort of like, it's just like, it's a classic, It's it perfectly demonstrates how limited their bandwidth is, is the irony, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. obvious. It's that you can only that send one thing even, at a time. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's sort of pathetic in a way. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, it does uh, piggyback on your internet connection, so it counts as... Your internet, so like if you're watching TV, your internet bandwidth will lower because Telus TV is pure IP. Well, but it, they say that it doesn't, and that's what does. I don't get. It does. Yeah, From I know. They're lying. You're they using always the love lying. Yeah. They love lying. Like that's that's completely, utterly false, and they, they advertise it constantly that it doesn't slow down. Well, no, it has to. Like because laws of physics it, state it does. Yeah. You have so, your limited bandwidth on your phone line because, I mean, uh, we're learning about this in Nate Telecom is just, you know, you have all this voice frequency bandwidth from 300 to 3400 hertz and above that is all the space that you're using for digital content. But at some point, the line isn't, isn't going to be able to support high frequency signals, so it's going to roll off at some point. And what the current technology is, that it just detects the bandwidth that is available based on physical parameters like the line quality, the number of items and the distance from the DSLAM or the central office, but in reality it's actually the DSLAM, which is the DSL uh, access uh, module. And uh, and basically uh, it uses up the available bandwidth. Now TELUS keeps saying that everyone has their own bandwidth, which is true because it's it's from a circuit switch network. Everyone has to go home run back to the central office for service because that's how the telephone network was set up. But in reality, like that's just between you and TELUS, you get a dedicated bandwidth. When you get to the internet... The internet is still a shared medium. There is no dedicated internet. That is not a. If you got dedicated internet, there wouldn't be the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Anyway, so I mean, it, it's it's classic. You know uh, what we've been talking about for you know a long time about these um, about all of these issues, um, and it, it's just you know it's 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 shop buying global. It's just sort of like you expected it to happen, but it's quite shocking. And yeah, like I mean, that's 
it, it also is interesting what's happening with their mobile division because Shaw is ready to, to launch roll wireless out this right wireless away. system. Yeah. They're hiring yeah. people like crazy. And then they put it on hold slightly just to it's hold the horses. buy Can West. You Although know. they're returning to that now, but not with the same kind of like enthusiasm or yeah. No, they they've got it. their hands full. They've they had a. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's sort of like uh, you know this situation where you know you're trying really hard to adopt a kid and then you have a kid yourself and then it's like oh but i'm also adopting a kid you know like it's sort of like oh now i've got my hands full um so it'll be interesting to see how shaw does with the whole thing and who knows maybe shaw is is, you know can west was sort of the it was its demise was caused by its own ambition because right. it tried to expand into it too tried many... to expand too fast into too many markets at the wrong time essentially because of the internet you know and so they did this big expansion and they couldn't they, they took on too much debt it's as simple as that right um shaw is doing the same i mean like now they're Global, taking on, they're taking West, on someone else's problem yeah can this. west is is acidic it's it's gonna be you know it needed to be split up not you know absorbed and complimogled into some other company yeah. although like i said they like the the newspaper division has been split off of course they did it's not been split up, but side. i mean they weren't that wasn't really the problem the newspapers were relatively self-sufficient it's these you know it's these little television stations that can't really you know support themselves anymore because of the market so yeah yeah it, it's very interesting. We'll see what happens um, with Shaw. But mainly, it's a, mainly it's a rights thing. That's where it it's comes a rights back thing, to. Yeah. And Shaw is touting that they're like I was talking to people who work at Shaw because they were here to hire. Mm-hmm. They were trying to hire me, and, uh, <laughs> and and basically we were just discussing this whole like like you purchase Canwest. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. What's going on with the company? And they're saying you know it's great because suddenly we have the rights to everything. And you know Shaw is really pushing their video on demand servers. I mean, someday that two ninety five dollar two dollar ninety five per month cable box is going to be free because they want you to have access to their video on demand, mm-hmm. which is like every time you watch a movie, you get to pay them. Yeah, because, they make it free after three yeah, years, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they want you to because their video on demand service is competing with other video on demand services, right? So Netflix, whatever, yeah. So I mean, and they're saying like you know it's in that case the selection is the key. To your success, your video demand on demand service, right? Just like a video store, the success of that was having the the content that people wanted right away. And yeah. with digital digital content provisioning, as soon as the content is available at your end, it's available everywhere immediately. Yeah, and exactly, so. and it, it's just it's funny because I, I watch as these companies think that they somehow are still going to win by mandating. By by sort of making the decision for the consumer for them, right? Like, I mean, if we talk about, if we show the music and take the music industry, for example, like music industry for a while decided that they weren't, you know, that consumers were not to download, you know, songs off the internet. You know, they said, look, no, that's, you know, they, they shut down Napster. They sued the pants off everybody. They said, look, no, this is not how you're going to consume our music. And they were wrong. And it's sort of interesting in the social network where they're talking with this guy who, you know, the guy who invented Napster and whatever. He's talking with Mark Zuckerberg. You know, he was saying, look, you know, I screwed up and I lost and he was poor. You know, he lost all his money and whatever. But I changed the industry. You know, I made a big change. And it's, it's true because 
we now we don't consume music on on CDs anymore. Like that doesn't happen, right? We go out and we buy it on the internet, or we download it, not buying it on the internet. And it's the same thing with video and and the TV and you know TV shows and and movies. They just don't get it that the consumer knows what we want, so just deliver it in a way we're ready to pay, right? Like we're ready to open our wallets. We have been doing it for a long time with DVD stores or whatever. We do it. Just want to do it a different we way. We just want to do it in a different way, and it doesn't make sense. Like they just sit around calling us pirates or whatever because you know it's a perfect example of you know albums that they release in different markets at separate times. They want to have this control over us, but you know with the internet is is letting us control that. And they, no matter how much they try, they're not going to be able to do it. So, you know, with Shaw and stuff saying, oh, well, you know, you're going to watch the video from us with video on demand. Well, then you have to make the service, you know, desirable. It needs to be competitive in terms of pricing and needs to make sense. It needs to be, you know, so that I can watch my video on my iPod if I want to or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's um, flexibility. Of it the, needs to be the devices, flexibility yeah. because otherwise... Why would I, you know, of course I'm just going to download it off the Pirate Bay if it, it makes more sense, if it's going to do what I want it to do, even though I was ready to pay, you know, $5 to go and buy it. So, you know, and, and ultimately they don't understand that, that they will lose, that the consumer will win. That is how the Internet works. And, you know, they're trying to choke off the Internet because, you know, that's, that's sort of what yeah, they want to yeah. do, right? But, but I, I mean, mean yeah, that's, yeah. it's not going to work. It's too late. The cat's out of the bag. It's so. it's like seeing your services as if they were utilities or if they're like mm-hmm. content services. This is where the weird line for telecom is because it's a stream service. It's something that is delivered constantly to you and and you you interact with it actively. And if they don't supply it, it's gone immediately. You cannot store, you know, cannot store your communications medium. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it's if you want to compare service, it to yeah. utility, it's like some places have their their propane or natural gas shipped. Like by container, and they put them in a, in a storage <laughs> yeah. tank at the next yeah. to their house, right? Because they don't have piped, piped in direct yeah. infrastructure, right? And while we do here, but can Fuel. you imagine if we didn't, and you had to get gas deliveries every so often Which in our do. winters, you know? Yeah. But like in a city, like just imagine, like <laughs> stop at your neighbor's house, yeah. <laughs> next house, next house, you know? Just yeah. how inefficient that kind of delivery, and then that's like going out and purchasing the media. On a fixed medium, like yeah, purchasing exactly. music on a CD, I have to go out and get this well, object, a exactly. final object. Whereas yeah. I can get it streamed in when I want it, and it's not going to run out, or you know, because you can run out of CDs, like that's possible. But mm-hmm. on the internet, can you run out of copies of virtual no, it, files? It's, like it's, it's obvious that that's what consumers want. We don't want to walk into a store and and realize, realize that, that our copies sold yeah. out. Like it just, yeah. just it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so that's that's sort of you know ties in with the you know the content providers and owning everything, but. Um, and TELUS is staying steadfast. TELUS, yeah. <laughs> I, I, this is what's really interesting is that TELUS, they're staying steadfast. And I mean, obviously, they, they have TELUS TV and Optic TV, yeah, which is failing and they, sucking. Yeah, but, exactly. like, you know, it, they, they, they're also very focused on their network. And I'm not saying Shaw isn't. Shaw is very focused on their network and they're building out and, you know, going, sending gigabits to people in Calgary, which is too bad. But, um, <laughs> you know, they. They're expanding their, especially their wireless network. They know where their eggs are. What does that mean? Where they know where their eggs are. Well, that's where the customers their are. Eggs the, are in their one basket. Are... They have focused. They're staring at their eggs in their basket. Um, I don't. Okay, know. those are the ones that hatch. Your yes, landline does not they're, hatch. They're Your hatching landline... eggs in a basket that they're staring at. Um, anyways, okay. Tell us, they've you know they do all sorts of naming games. 
but they they're figuring out the consumer. So they are expanding their network. They've they've set up this brand new network, and they're they're actually actively developing it. So they're calling it 4G. What used to be called 3G Plus is now called 4G, which is because they're like, oh look, the Americans are calling it what we call 3G Plus 4G. Sprint so we, was, we Sprint was the first too. to call it 4G in the U.S. Just yeah, as a, it's ridiculous. As a note, yeah, <laughs> but so I mean, and and technically, you know, they have made an advancement. You know, it's no longer 3G Plus. It's 3G Plus Plus because they've they've doubled the capacity. By adding this firmware update, and so now you can have 21 times 2. So you now have got 42 megabits. None of the devices support this yet, of course. You know, like no one cares. You but can get. It's better to have the, it's the better service to have available it now and then, and then the have devices the devices than instead of backwards, right, right. having devices support it than not having yeah, the network, right? Exactly. So. so they're launching that. They've got 42, and then LTE is down the road. So. They've, they've well, got LTE, a plan. LTE, by definition, is long-term evolution. <laughs> long-term evolution. They've got a plan. They're putting into action. Winnipeg has got, you know, 4G now, which I'll just refer to as 4G. You know, it's 42 megabits sort of thing. They've got it in Winnipeg. Saskatchewan, they've got, you know, plans or they've got agreements with SaskTel. So that's all set up. Canada is is on a roll. You know, considering the size enough. of our country, if you look at the U.S., like, they're in a giant pile of crap like whatever they're doing over there they, they they just do the tiny little cities at a time because i mean obviously the population you have to you have to set up you know a million towers in order to service all those people um but i'm very impressed with how telus is doing rogers i don't even know what they're they're up to all i know is i hate rogers and they don't they don't do much and they but it's interesting of, to note that in canada like most of the networks have converged onto one one medium so that you That's can true. you you can roam i mean 4g is really i hate that word because it's a, such a blanket statement it has no technical background to it it just encompasses yeah. the, new stuff, G- the GM, new stuff this is gm this is utms yeah yeah so and um but what's interesting now is talus is offering free unlock well not free unlocking unlocking of your device as a service for as a service bucks, yeah. so it's 50 bucks which is like Compared to the, all the rest of what you can be paying, like 50 bucks is pretty okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the iPhone yet, sadly. Um, but you can unlock your device, which is – that's never happened in Canada as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to go to your provider and say – Short, I, of, I, I short wanna, of paying it out. Short yeah. of – no. Unlock your device, period. It's always been a gray market thing mm-hmm. to unlock your device yeah, and yeah, be able yeah, to take it yeah. to the U.S. or, or whatever. Um, so this means that, you know, you can unlock your Motorola Milestone or whatever. I, actually, I don't really know if that's part of it. They have a whole list of the devices mm-hmm. you can use. Mm-hmm. And take it to Mexico, take it to the U.S., take it to Europe, use it. Um, obviously, you still have to pay TELUS. Like, I mean, it's just, like, it doesn't really make sense why they lock the device, right? Like, I mean, it, you know, I guess it's so that they can make roaming charges, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it really is, is illogical. Mm-hmm. And so well, Rogers actually has 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 supported this. They have actually they've not really advertised. It's not something the provider you can advertises. Get a paid unlock? Rogers has been able to do that. With, even when Fido was hmm. had Rogers Fido, it oh, was like no it. one talks about it because well, it's tell not us actually is, a service. you know yeah. they, they, this is not exactly you're right. Like I mean, maybe Rogers had it, but it wasn't a promoted thing, right? This but even is service providers don't want to promote this. Yeah, it's not of good course. for business. <laughs> but they, they made a press release. They it was not some secret thing. They made a press release and saying, look, this is our commitment to our customers and you know, blah, blah, blah. So I I'm very happy with the way TELUS is is focusing on their network, working things out. And, you know, six months ago I got my iPhone. I'm still ridiculously happy with it. And I, I was I was sort of I was very confident in the w- direction TELUS was going with building out that new network from scratch. Making sure it's it's you know 
it's the latest and greatest, and I'm very happy with that. I went with that because they're clearly um, holding up their end of the deal. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us. I mean, I've always had to commend them on the quality of the network, and and I like that they're heading in a direction that continues to develop their network instead of you know kind of worrying about other stuff. I mean, they did make inroads into like selling content on your phone at some point, but that got faced with massive negativity especially from the media when mm-hmm. they realized that they were selling adult co- adult content on their phones right <laughs> remember that whole fiasco so they summarily backed out of that one and uh i'm glad that they're sticking with the network as they should right yeah. i mean i mean the other thing in telecom now is the whole oriscom fiasco that you know <laughs> initially the uh, minister of industry allowed oriscom to enter canada to operate wind mobile yeah and uh and now it, they're realizing that they're well, backing it, it, up. Yeah, they're backing well, the CRTC up. said, look, this is cuckoo head. Like, you can't just override these sort of things, which is sort of good for them. It's also sort of, you're nuts. Like, I mean, like, it's sort of classic, you know, yeah, Stephen Harper, too. I mean, it's like, we're going to do this now. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, you know, Stephen Harper, he sort of has this idea, you know, that he can run it like the U.S. Where, you know, you know, if the president of the U.S. said, you know, look, I don't want to do this. Or, look, you know, we're going to let this in. He, he can override anything, right? Yeah. He's the president. He can override anything. And I think Stephen Harper still thinks that he can do that. But it's, it's not really how the parliamentary system works. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we have these organizations that do that. Like, so that, you, you know, the power doesn't go to your head. So, you know, I, I think it was good that they did it. I'm not sure how it's going to work out with wind. Because mm-hmm. um, the way that the, the system works is that if you let one in, you have to let everyone else in because you've ruled that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't fa- like unfavorably pick and choose what you allow, right? For example, like, like even with the legal court system, like if you rule one decision, you can refer to it in a similar case because exactly. it's been ruled That's, the first time. It becomes right. almost a legislative thing. Yeah. yeah. So now that they're worried that like because they, they said they allowed this certain case to uh, – like occur that more of the similar might occur because mm-hmm. this one happened, right? Yeah. It's like in, 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 in elementary school where you gave someone a Valentine, but you had to get her, <laughs> give everyone else a Valentine because, because otherwise it'd be unfair, you know, and all that. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, so, I mean, that's going to, that's going to put, you yeah. know, Oris common in, in limbo and I, in their company itself is restructuring rapidly. They're switching around and I mean, make it more right Canadian. now, even when they showed up, it was a big, kerfuffle of you know like having like part canadian ownership just to quasi satisfy regulations and stuff like that and even right now they're they're shuffling it around and and it's really confusing as to what what is exactly happening with the company right but to as far as the government is concerned you know it's still operated by the multi-billionaire giant in egypt (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so that'll be interesting to see um, I do have an update on Thunderbolt. Um, Intel just wrapped up their uh, their little announcement thing. Um, it looks like, um, yeah, it's just combining PCI Express with DisplayPort into one protocol. Um, and so the Thunderbolt controller just sort of merges the two into the pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 10 gigabits per channel, so it's bidirectional. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that would be 900 megabytes per second in both directions. Um, it's got 10 watts of bus power, which is less than FireWire, but more than USB. Um, and power, bus power will likely not be supported in future optical cables. 
Um, so you'll still need opt- uh, copper to to run those um, power lines. Power until, lines until we get um, really efficient <laughs> light conversion. <laughs> yeah. Here. yeah. Um, but but uh, the light or the optical is expected to come out later 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 this year. Uh, is how that's going to work. Um, there's eight nanosecond latency over seven daisy chain devices. Um, one bus can drive two DisplayPort displays simultaneously. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, this expe- like so this the- means yeah. that we could theoretically have MacBook display and then two other monitors. Yeah, yeah, and the i series supports this right now on the on the even on the i three that my dad has right now. You can run three devices simultaneously off the DisplayPort. Off the built-in graphics DisplayPort is just a, the the medium, right? Yeah. The hardware supports. Does it have it. DisplayPort on it? I, I chose the HDMI version. It was easier okay. to interface because otherwise I'd be purchasing DisplayPort to everything else yeah, adapters all the time, right? Yeah. So, so no um, display port displays. <laughs> any DisplayPort 1.1 device needs to be the last in a daisy chain. But you know, as a, from a from a physical connection standpoint, of course, you'd, if I was limited to only having one connector, I'd definitely want the highest bandwidth connector, mm-hmm. and then shrink it down to whatever actual what the older method yeah. standard that exactly. I need, right? Yeah. Instead of backwards that doesn't work um uh, three meters is the longest for the current copper implementation so no more than th- three meters which is that's very s- yeah it's similar it's to like t- firewire similar to well <laughs> firewire you could sort of yeah, extend yeah. but i mean it's sort of, again it's sort of like well, you could well this is guaranteed functioning right mm-hmm. whether we're, we're at whether like whether or not it will function past that is not guaranteed but it might it might just work it probably will mm-hmm. and then uh and get our uh intel was demonstrating um uh, five gigabyte file transferred in just a few seconds, which sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Which is um, true because the display port, like not display port, display port, but the graphics input or graphics I/O has always been the highest bandwidth connector mm-hmm. on computers for years. So it makes sense, yeah, for years. So that like if I was gonna integrate a, another high bandwidth channel, I definitely go through that. So mm-hmm. it, this does make sense. Yeah, and um, they're also talking about having four simultaneous uncompressed HD video streams from a RAID device. So yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, Architectica knows that it's a compact, inexpensive controller combined with many DisplayPort makes Thunderbolt well com- suited for mobile computing. So who knows? Maybe the iPad 2 will end up with it. And that will definitely expand it, like because like my biggest gripe of the Apple products right now, like the MacBook Air, is that like lack of I/O. Yeah. Oh, but absolutely. If this yep. shows up on the MacBook Air yep. instantly, and I'm sure up, once you know? they get the cores i series into those MacBook Airs, you're going to have some real I/O. The question is, um, I, I'm really curious to see whether we can use this Thunderbolt for networking, mm-hmm. um, just ad hoc networking. You know, you, we, we know that we've always been doing IP over FireWire. Will we be able to do the same thing? Well, it's just it, this is a software implementation. It's software the implementation. I, I think it really it, is. Right? So, so that will be that will be really neat mm-hmm. if you can just sort of plug in your laptop, plug in your other laptop, bang, mm-hmm. you've got and even more than one way. Like even between MacBooks and MacBooks, you could have done uh, disk mode, right, with FireWire. Yep. So you could have connected them through not only through Absolutely. a network stack, but through uh, storage media. That would be interesting to see. Right? I wonder so. if if uh, Apple's going to have a disk mode in their firmware, in their EFI. You know, FireWire target disk mode, um, uh, Thunderbolt target disk mode. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have to see because there are no devices for yeah. this. Yeah, I think this uh, is this is a very early. Inter- that's what's sort of interesting is that Apple's traditionally sort of been, you know, a little more tried, tested, and true with their hardware. 
Um, but they also like to just get so, rid of stuff. And- but they also like to, you know, it's, 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 actually, it's actually very successful, I think. Um, it's sort of weird that there's no devices that all sort of get this computer and be like, oh, I can plug in my Nothing. monitor. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, oh, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, over the smash. years, yeah. if, I, yeah. if I have it for five to six years, I'm sure I'll be happy with it. Yeah. It's like when Express Card came out, you know, you could hardly find any Express Card anything. Well, Express Card right, barely uh, took off, though. I, I think if this this is... Yeah. Well, Express Card didn't take off because what what were the things you would plug into your PCMCA card bus slot? Yeah, you like would have wireless cards, cards. That's it. or yeah. you'd have storage devices or, or memory all, card readers, card readers. Said, you know, and now devices, right? the MacBook Pros got those all in. built in on which they they actually right? bumped. It's now it supports XC. XC, XC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So actually, I think two Windows Seven came up with an update a while yeah. ago that also supports that. But yeah. no, no, that was a that wasn't support. That was repairing the problem. It was like it didn't actually work. So then they added support. Um, and then it's saying that Thunderbolt has been committed to by um, Promise, which is the Pegasus RAID device, yeah. and then Lissy is also committed with the little big disk. Yeah. So. Well, the, the interesting thing is that they they were vague both on the industry side and on the consumer side mm-hmm. about this technology because I think they know that as soon as you let the industry know, the industry is going to leak it, not only them, right? So they've been keeping quiet on that, which is yeah. why at launch there is nothing that supports it. Because It's nothing that supports <laughs> it, but... Um, yeah. No, it's interesting that Apple's got a very good relationship with Intel. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess this is a, a, a new-ish interface. For example, when between USB, like when USB 2.0 came out, everyone in the industry knew about it already. So they were ready to come out with 2.0 devices right as soon as computers start having that support, yeah, it's, right? Yeah, it's not exactly so, Firewire, you know, yeah, 5.0 yeah. or... And all, I mean... Does the do the new MacBooks have USB 3.0 or no. that's really Apple has no one not really cares that. about that? Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to say where where 3.0 is going. It's it's just seems I I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll just be a natural evolution. You know, because um, it's gonna be it's gonna be backwards compatible, right? Yeah. But so like maybe it'll just be sort like, of a natural do you evolution. This, do you see of these this as things? the end of the line for USB because, like, I, I mean, don't know. we USB has been extremely successful on on various devices. Like, I'm just looking at things in my home theater right now, and I can count like four things that have USB. My TiVo has USB. My cable box has USB. My receiver's got USB, and my fifty-five dollar TV set has USB now. But it's not <laughs> a. It's not like I mean, you would never, ever, ever run video over USB, right? Like, you're not going to plug in your monitor. Via USB, so I just think that I think Apple's dream is to have it is is this reversion to the iMac, you know, the original iMac, where it's just like you've got a row of USB ports and you plug them in, you know, and and that's the way it's been a while for been for a while, but now things you know we need higher bandwidth. It with this just with this light Thunderbolt, light, <laughs> you know, you can imagine a day where you buy your computer and there's just a row of Thunderbolts and you just shove them in wherever you feel like it and everybody says, oh, hey, look, a display. Oh, hey, your mouse. Oh, hey, let's go. And and away you go. So it would be it would be pretty neat if we could do that someday. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's but, I mean, just, just an update just, on Thunderbolt. Just having the, the universal implementation of usb everywhere like your car has usb now it's yep. ridiculous well, it's, it's everywhere. Cheap. but they're saying this thunderbolt you know will be cheap to implement so that's a big deal that's a big deal that's because the like because you know i was just looking back to all these failed computer products like 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 uh, ram bus or or xd memory cards and stuff even like that firewire. And, even firewire and and things that when companies want a single company or a small like partnership of companies develop a certain product and they ask for huge royalties it's usually only going to be implemented on that company's product or yep 
basically, right? Because, yeah. like, where else have you seen XD memory card slots? Apart from card readers, like products, you only saw them in Olympus or, or Fujifilm cameras, right? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or Rambus memory, like, only a very small handful of machines, and somehow we managed to come across one. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> have, have implemented that because, you know, I mean, even if it was technically superior at the time, so... So yeah, that's the update on Thunderbolt. Um, moving right along, um, that's been sort of our news end of things. Um, what are some of our recent projects? We've got um, that, that TV wall thing that we've been doing the last TV time. Wall. That was what was being developed at the last Doug podcast. Yeah, so the last Doug podcast, we were building this TV wall, and so we sort of had a. If you check it out on YouTube, um, on YouTube.com/slash Joel Photo, um, or visit Joel.ca. It's somewhere on my blog there. Um, there is, uh, yeah, it's sort of this uh, this pile of televisions that are playing various clips from uh, Marshall McLuhan's speeches and other interviews. And they're being played back. There's about three different channels, and then they're being broadcast out through an RF modulator and then being received by this pile of TVs. Um, and so it was on at the Art Gallery of Alberta for uh, sort of a special event, um, really. It just happened to be held at the Art Gallery of Alberta, but I like to say that it was, you know, it's at the ATA. And, uh, and so it was there for, for our event, and it was very well received. And then now we're talking about, it was sort of a promo or a prototype, in a way, um, of this bigger project, which is called Wave. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but um, they still, they're interested in they want to put it in the airport, the Edmonton International Airport. So we still need to work on that, by the way. We need to sort of restructure a bit. And it, it wasn't very um, permanent the way it was built originally. And also wasn't very... It was, uh, well, it was under our full and direct supervision. It was under direct supervision. So it needs to be sort of um, idiot-proofed and um, uh, tamper-proofed. Probably put a uh, sort of a plexiglass case around it and then lock everything down so that, you know, people aren't leaving their Tim Hortons cups on it and all this so. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's pretty interesting. You can check out the video on that. Yeah, um, the biggest thing that we did was I had my frequency agile RF modulator hooked up to, uh, I think one or two amplifiers and then sent it to an antenna. This was actually done through RF. So that's the interesting thing. So we used the built-in tuners on the television sets to just pick up the video feeds. We had three channels going. Now our issue is that we don't want to do that at the airport because TV band is very close to yeah, the Yeah, like we don't want to be, so we probably have to use coax. And actually, the pr- reason why we didn't use coax last time was because it was actually interfering with itself. So we'll see what happens. We have to work that out because... It's if, a plethora of, like, television sets because, like, some of them had... Some yeah, of them that have was the other thing. They did not have coax. Ohm, 75 ohm inputs, yeah, but a lot so of the older ones are 300 ohm balanced inputs. So you'd need stuff, a lot of in, so. impedance conversions. But guess what happens? If you have any kind of impedance mismatch, signal reflects ghosting on TVs. That's what exactly. you mean, So Yeah, so it was just interfering with itself, yeah. and that was... So we're going to be working out those technical details for our next... Uh, display setup i suppose yeah i'll yeah. we'll have to get on that but um yeah so that's sort of been the tv wall um we also made a trip out to my camp um that i spent a couple of weeks well i spent most of my life at over the various weeks in the summer um and then last this last past summer we i spent about two weeks there and uh they invited me to come and see and interest see if i do a video for them sort of thing so kevin and i went out um this fall and we shot a video um I wonder if we should, we should have like a little at Gull Lake. Play. This yeah. is the place. This is at Gull place, Lake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a little promo for the LTD program, um, and so that was quite a bit of fun. We learned uh, a couple different things about um, 
particularly the HHG cam, which we've used quite a few times now, mm-hmm. um, but it just uh, we realized that really using the built-in audio made no sense. That it's just as effective to um, let's play a little bit of. In fact, we, we basically, this Eddie roll that we're recording this podcast with came along with us, and I was just like, well, let's record it just, just in case, right? And uh, ended up being the audio source. It's a way to learn about God and connect with people of your same age. Um, so that's sort of a quick quick listen to it um it is available on uh, as usual on the joel.ca and uh, my youtube channel so um yeah that it's sort of you know so we just recorded it on um the built-in or not built-in but uh, the Ederol into a pc and then i used i, I was going to look this up um because uh there's a really great program for final cut um that will sync everything up for you um, and so you just sort of run, you can run as many, like a couple different video camera shots, um, that are shot on different cameras and at different start and end points and audio and everything else. And it'll just sync it all up for you. And so then you can just pick and choose what you want. And, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. Um, and so it was a third party plugin. Um, I'm not sure. If this is where we up, really should have used a clapper bar for the, for yeah. the whole oh, video. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a clapper bar, it's a lot easier. Um, but uh, it, it did work quite well for that. So that was pretty neat. Um, and I had about, I set up my mixer with like all the five different channels that we ended up capturing and sort of checking, okay, oh, this one's good. No, this one's not good. And then sort of selecting from there. So it was pretty interesting. We, the, I was really happy with the audio mix at the end, though. It, it worked out very nicely. So. Actually, we had, we had both our mics, both exactly these microphones we're using right now. Yeah. <laughs> we used the condenser mic in the middle of nowhere. Like, we just, like, hucked it on sticks. And then, like, we just, and then, yeah, these mic stands. We just, like, pointed them upwards and down at our talent. Yeah. And, and we literally had it at the edge of a lake. Yeah, at the edge of a lake. <laughs> and it, it, you know, you got wind noise for sure. Which I sort of processed out a little bit, and but it worked very well. Actually, this is where I'm really impressed with the Eddie Rolls or the Roll or whatever you want to call it. Uh, USB bus powered and uh, Phantom Power works yeah, on that bus power. Good. That's very that good very because good. I was able to run it off my laptop. We didn't because we had no power. Yeah, because we, like, we always dream of, of these days where it's sort of like, but what if we're in the middle of nowhere and we need to power things? And it's like, <laughs> there you go. You yeah, know, I yeah. mean, then you don't need a wall ward. And I mean, you know, we could have just plugged into the inverter in the truck. We like drove the truck onto the beach and stuff, and that was hilarious. When we went mudding through, uh, through the down to the beach, that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was a good trip and and lots of fun. Good video, good video project. I don't know if we're gonna. We shot a lot of footage. Like I don't know if we're gonna do more with it. But you know, I think probably this summer I'll be spending at least you know a couple weeks out there, and maybe even mo- my whole summer um, as the video tech guy. So uh, more adventures to come with that. And hopefully my new MacBook Pro will be there to serve everything up yeah, with yeah. great success. And it's, it's just odd to notice that, like, these are the projects that we use the HDHD cam for. Yeah. Because HDHD cam is not very good at, at doing, Day-to-day. like, small projects or, like, I want to put this on Facebook. Because no, no. any five-second clip will end up becoming, like, a 700-megabyte oh, file yeah. or more. But it's great and for stu- – it's great for – well, I was going to say for, studio, but, like, you know – Productions. Yeah, yeah. It's You're very high quality for that, yeah. but it's it's cumbersome as, as always. Like yeah, and you need to have yeah. the lighting ready, and you need to do proper white balance, which actually wasn't that great. We probably could have done better. 
And uh, I should have brought a stack of eight and a half by eleven sheets of paper. Um, and I think, you know, and that's sort of the problem, though, because, I mean, you sort of need to do these productions and be like, okay, here's what I need to remember for next time, right? Because you're not using it every day. You're not uploading Facebook with it. You know, you can't sort of figure out all those esoteric features. You forget how to use the zebra patterns, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the tricky part about it. But so, yeah, that was a good project. Um, FPC IT, we've been uh, reworking everything at um, my First church, church yeah. First Baptist Church. Um, we ran Ethernet everywhere. We ran it inside Conduit because Kevin wanted to do Conduit. So he learned how to bend Conduit and bought all the tools and bought a bunch of Conduit and ran it through everywhere and drilled through a million walls and mm-hmm. quite yeah. the adventure. Well, basically, there was some flaky network infrastructure that sort of existed, but apparently when they redid the flooring, all They just like ripped that, it out. Yeah, okay. And then was like, I'll just use, we'll just use Wi-Fi for everything. Yeah. Which was like, Which okay. didn't work out too well. And I mean, in a way, it worked. Like, it did work. It got most of it done. Some of it was, like, unnecessarily Wi-Fi. Like, it was plugged into the Ethernet, but, like, they disabled the Ethernet card and used a, like, PCI Wi-Fi card instead. Because, you know, we basically took over all of the... Well, I took over all of the IT stuff, and then Kevin and I sort of went to, get it, went to town with the infrastructure, infrastructure aspect. Yeah. Um, but we upgraded the, to a gigabit switch... Um, 24 ports. We've got plenty of room for expansion. We added a NAS. I still haven't decommissioned the server, but I will be doing it soon because all it's doing now is logging on. People, yeah. Users. No, one user. One user. It's logging in the computer right beside it. (laughs) It's ridiculous. But, um, you know, so we've made a lot of improvements. We've added a a PFSense router, and it's managing the the wireless clients quite well this um, is the router that we were building in our last podcast by that the way was the router yeah. we were building in the last it has been very stable um what's interesting oh and by the way did i mention um they some guy was like i have a ups in my basement from somebody do you and would the church want it and I'm, and they're like yes sure and i was like sweet awesome so I don't know. A UPS is going to appear. Okay, we still need to kill Telus for not. Yeah, because Telus, we were going through old invoices, and and we got the, this new, you know, BCM fifty, you know, te- telephone system. But on the bill, it said you know six hundred dollars for APC smart APC UPS smart 750. UPS seven fifty. Yeah, it's nowhere to be found, and we're like, tell us where is this UPS? Um, I have to phone them at some point, anyways, to get a, a I, uh, quote yeah. and you stuff. Got me to so. phone them. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could phone them. I don't know. But you need we the naming and the and the people on the records is yeah be big, we need to we sort of need to figure out what we want to do because we've got a service contract with Telus but Kevin does the phones better than Telus does so you know now we want to add phone sets we need to add licensing or add IP phones we're not really sure what we should do um, really the best solution would have been to never never have replaced the phone system to begin with because it was perfectly fine and had like unlimited ducks mm-hmm. the but compact ICS then Kevin would have never discovered yeah, telecom yeah, and the wonders and of it so, <laughs> so you know it's, it's a catch, a, yeah. catch too. Um but what was interesting with this particular FPC IT project especially on the infrastructure side was we um, we set up uh, Wi-Fi over VLAN so it was a bit of a clue. Like, I mean, basically, you can either buy the $1,000 wireless access points that are professional grade and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, we weren't going to do that just for Wi-Fi. So we, we bought a pair of DIR. Well, first we bought first some, we bought Asus, a- yeah, some Asus. Asus ducks. And they were ridiculous because what we were trying to do is, is we set up DDWRT, which is a custom firmware. Mm-hmm. And what we were trying to do was set up a VLAN from the PFSense router to 
the uh, DDRWT firmware. Mm -hmm. And that way we could have um, the captive virtual portal interface yeah, on the being connected point. out to these access points. Yeah. Um, but Let's back up a, a second. What we tried initially was I had a Linksys E1000 or whatever. Oh, one yeah, of those yeah. Linksys routers. we tested it. And we it just, yeah, we put in DDWirt and it, it worked, worked just fine. Beautifully. We just it was created like, yeah, a virtual awesome. VLAN and it was VLAN tagging. So. And then you create a wire, virtual wireless access point and then you just bridge the two and away it went. Exactly. It was perfect. Yeah. It worked perfectly. Yeah. So, we, so then that's we went why out and bought the Asus You know, we routers. did a bit research into looking like okay what's the cheapest what do we really need in and terms of the wireless ads what are the ports and what can i run ddwrt on and everybody was saying look ddwrt works perfectly on asus because asus is just like oh look we like built some hardware and our firmware sucks so you should upgrade to ddwrt and so we did it but i spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours well, and then you spent hours and hours and hours and hours trying and to figure out came to the what conclusion. the heck yeah. is going on yeah. with this thing yeah. and the problem was the way that it was designed is is to use vlans internally mm -hmm. so they basically set up a very cheap switch it's it's for component reasons asus could you know do it a lot cheaper if they could just use a bunch of ports and then you know map them with vlan surfing mm -hmm. rather than having a dedicated interface for each one yeah i mean it, it comes back to the having the five port switch and not having to have a separate WAN a four interface. port switch and then a wan interface right yeah. you know there's just one interface on the whole device well you can't do that because as soon as you have a vlan coming in on one of the ports it just gets stripped away and then it gets assigned its own yeah. vlan yeah. and you can't, you can't vlan a vlan um unfortunately no nested VLANs. That would be awesome. Which is really cool. I mean, if I was using this as a hub and byte network, it'd be cool because this is a fully managed switch that you can VLAN with if yeah. you want to go and, in, you, and you know, if, it, right? if that's what you want to do, it would be very good for that. Because like, you can't buy managed switches that are like four ports. Those don't exist. You have to go yeah. with like eight or 16 for managed switches. So if you were looking for a cheap managed switch, managed switch that's a great product. In, mm -hmm. that, in our case, though, we didn't want to run the network with no. it. It needed we to be at the edge of the network. You know, to do it right. So... Um, we returned those. We bought, spent $5 more. We had two of them. We $5 more times two and bought the um, Linksys. No, oh, D-Link. DAR 615. 615. Yeah. The 615 is a, is a really long legacy. Like, it's a really old product. D-Link has created several revisions of I this. Think I think there's A, like, B, and C. No, yeah. no. D, they, E, F. I think we had D. <laughs> I think we had D. Yeah. Anyway, they, the 615 has been a very long-running product. In fact, I've deployed countless 615s. Mm -hmm. And actually, it just turned out that the newer revisions, they did some cost-cutting, and they, you can't have removable antennas on it anymore. That's the only way to really distinguish the revision, yeah, the short of checking yeah. like the sticker, right? Yeah. So anyway, that did work, and I was familiar with the 615 because it has a dumb switch. We were really looking for a dumb switch that mm -hmm. would pass along VLANs. They would and just have two ignore, like, don't look at VLANs. Just pass yeah, it through, which is what through. it should. And in that case, we could get DDWirt to look at the VLANs and split accordingly. However, we had we to have a jumper. We had to have a jumper because uh, the hardware did not support, like the network card interface, which is a Marvell-based uh, system, could not support using more than one VLAN on the single interface at a time. Now, I mean, I could add it in... the. In, oh, is that what in, it was? Yeah, oh, okay. I, could add it in, I could add in more than one interface, actually more than one VLAN on a given physical interface. However, it just didn't work. Like, nothing, oh, yeah, there was no was issue. Just in the it just didn't work. So it's either a firmware Driver. issue or, like, they just expected thus to... Like a, the situation never happened. However, the router does does have two physical interfaces which we were able to use. It's got a physical interface on the what would be the LAN side and a physical interface on what would be the WAN side, which is what most routers are made out of. Mm -hmm. So we have one coming into the dumb switch, which doesn't matter; it's independent. So the dumb switch automatically connects to the LAN, and then we made a small jumper from port four of the dumb switch that is built in to the WAN port. So essentially, both 
interfaces on the router are physically connected to the same mm-hmm. segment to the same and that and then that that one port goes back to yeah. you know our run yeah. so then, then the have, end result yeah, yeah. the end result right is that we only have one cable running to each router but we are getting two network connections um, one for our private network and then one for the public network. Yeah, the private network was untagged and yeah. then the public network was tagged on VLAN 1. So basically the other one interface was just passing through mm-hmm. the, just wireless the, the traffic just yeah. as normal. And the other one, the WAN part, was basically set to only listen to the certain VLAN that we designated for yeah. wireless. Yeah. yeah, And, and actually uh, just to top it off, we made it more elegant by, by instead of doing power oh, yeah. ever, power over Ethernet was a bit too costly. So we literally just ran power over RCA. Through. Yeah, <laughs> we had a little RCA connector, yeah, and you yeah. plug it in, and it—it's very elegant. It's just sort of floating there on its little conduit box there downstairs. I used pipe strapping, pipe strapping material yep. to hold it up, and <laughs> it, it, as far as I know, it's been flawless. Whenever I show up, it connects beautifully. I've got users signing up. What I did with uh, PFSense is I set up a little registration script. And so, obviously, this is susceptible to security. You know, obviously, you could create your own user from just logging on. If you knew the, yeah, if you, the script location. Yeah, if you knew where it is. But, I mean, it's just sort of there to keep track of what's going on on the network. And it's working very well. Um, Tana can just register users on the spot. I have a little script that will automatically email their information to them or print it. And uh, it works very, very well. I spent maybe, you know, two hours just setting that all up, and then now it's completely self-sufficient. And sometimes I log in to the PFSense and see, oh, there's been some users, and they, you know, they log on, and they've uh, activated the captive portal. Um, I had some – before we even started the project, there were sort of concerns about, you know, having to log in each time. So I, I, I made some accommodations. I said, you know, seven-day expiry date. So if you log in, it will keep you for seven days connected. And then I might – on a per-user basis, I can always take a look at their MAC address and then add them to the allowed MAC addresses so they don't need to log on again or whatever. Mm-hmm. That really bothers them. Meanwhile, so. the staff that need to use a network all the time aren't affected because there is we have the yep. separate staff network. And so, so. we've you know is a nice upgrade to N. Um, there's a lot of MacBooks in that office now. Like even Sandy, you know, she brought in her MacBook. I set up with Office, you know, and I set up the VPN, and she's on the wireless network. So. Who knows? Like, I mean, I know she likes her MacBook. I don't know. If she she said she, she just didn't want to haul it in, right? People don't want to haul it in their computers or whatever. I so, use my laptop, but not as a laptop. Yeah, and then we also set up their email. So we've got Google Apps going, and that works out. I think it's working very well for them. And Google Calendar, using that. They do use that. And, uh, yeah, so we've done a lot of improvements, mm-hmm. wireless, wired, um, various desktop enhancements. I've added Office for Mac, the latest version for 2011. Bought a couple of... Uh, charity licenses through London Drugs, which was hilarious. And, uh, yeah, no, it's I'm very happy the way FBC is working out. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest lessons that we've learned is taking over from someone else's project, which is why when we put it in this new network, uh, documentation was of the yeah, utmost yeah. importance. Apps, we always made sure everything well that documented. was put down, every cable that we ran, every port, where it runs, where the physical cable run is, how many mm-hmm. lines are in each conduit, you know, because if someone else needs to take a look at this, it should be immediately obvious to them yep. instead of having – the big run around to yep. figure out who to, who to contact, who knows what's going on. Yeah, because that's right, and that's so. like you know, especially with nonprofit organizations, because people come and go, and and you know, right now I have a service plan with them, but I mean, I'm sure there'll be a time where you know it's time for me to transition out to somebody else, and you know, you want to be able to say, look, here's the documentation, here's what's going on, and uh, here's how it works, so they they can maintain it uh, as well as as we hopefully are are doing so. 
So that's good. Yeah. So that's been FVCIT, and we've sort of been working on that together. Um, Boxing Day, we got, um, or Boxing Week, I suppose, we bought a whole bunch of home theater stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin just showed up and was like, oh, look, it's a home theater, and then yeah. picked it up at yes. a Pioneer Amp. <laughs> it's a, and then yeah. a week later, <laughs> we were out in... Uh, Calgary. Well, yeah. we haven't really talked about our trip. Yeah. Um, we went uh, skiing down in Calgary and into uh, Canmore. And then up to uh, Lake Louise That's where with Simon and, and, and Kevin and I and all went down in Kevin's truck. Lots of fun. <laughs> and then we did some shopping in Calgary on the way back up. And uh, and on the way down, we went to, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Princess Auto. So yeah, yeah. anyway, so we picked up a Pioneer amp and some speakers. I picked up a lot of speakers along the way. And uh, yeah, we've sort of set up home theater in both of our locations at my house and Kevin's mm-hmm. house with these basically almost identical Pioneer amps. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have anything to talk about that? Well, basically, okay. So the original setup I've had in this house has been here before I was here, and it's it's basically top of the line for 1992. It's a Onkyo SV70. Pro, which was amazing because it had Dolby surround, you know, ProLogic. ProLogic was uh, analog, basically. It used phase shift modulation to encode, like, the rear surround and stuff like that. Anyway, that's great. I've, I used it for, I guess, like, like two decades, basically. And it's basically time for a change because digital is coming, HD is coming, and the receiver only supported composite video through RCA. That was about as best as, as it would get, which was pretty amazing because, you know, your receiver had video. Ooh, had video. Anyway, um, so I guess I have it integrated into my system, which isn't actually fully digital yet. In fact, I have more analog components going into it than uh, than digital components. It's a Pioneer VSX1325K, which is the Future Shop edition of the Pioneer VSX33, which is where they call it everywhere else. And basically, this just means that Future Shop supports it, does a warranty for it. And you and prime, actually, the, the biggest reason was so that you you can't price match it because they have a different mm. model. That's why Future Shop does this, you know. But from a technical standpoint, it is identical. And basically, um, 110 watts at 8 ohms per channel. Um, two channels driven though. I think when you go up, up to, I think it supports up to nine point one surround with like yeah. with uh, surround height rear and front height <laughs> speakers. Or however, yeah. you, any way you want to arrange it, it'll yeah, do it. Yeah, and uh, and basically. It's very flexible, which is very what flexible, I'm impl- yep. impressed with because I'm used to the old amps, which are very rigid. They're hardwired to function mm-hmm. one way, and if you plug like VCR, it was for VCR. You couldn't do it anywhere else. Yeah, whereas this is basically software. Yeah, basically it is, and uh, it's got like I got it because it had networking features, and you know mm-hmm. these days everything. Yeah. I mean, the, the two things I look in, in in equipment I purchased these days is does it have USB and does it have Ethernet support? <laughs> yeah. that, I mean everything has has sort of mine exactly. actually. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, Basically, on these ones, like there's a series of analog video inputs, there's a series of digital coaxial inputs, which is copper based, and then there's a series of uh, digital optical inputs, and a series of well, on mine there's two component inputs, and uh, and there's six HDMI inputs. Yeah, yeah inputs actually they can do output too. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah, cool. HDMI is bidirectional. This is 1.4 HDMI. Yeah. Anyway, so they, they're all numbered. I mean, they have some letters next to it so that they can kind of guide you to like what you would be plugging into these ports but as an example, but you really don't need to... Assign everything yeah, you, you can want. rename it and, for example, I can plug in a D, uh, my HD cable box to component 2 and then optical 3 for example, yeah. and then in the setup I yeah, can yeah. say that when I, when I push the TV button... The name will be called. I, I called it HD Cable TV, and then 
the video will be coming from component one and the audio will be coming from optical three. So you can yeah. basically configure it that way. And if you have more than one source, it'll be able to, to prioritize or pick digital first, then analog. So I guess you could fail over if you really cared about that or, or if your device, for example, if you had one of those funky DVD VCR combinations, it wouldn't output uh, digital audio when you're playing a VCR exactly. VHS tape. So, so it would be, auto, auto be able to pick which uh, yeah, that's cool, input yeah. is, is active at the time. So And mine, mine served as, like, I have the VSX 925. 925. Yeah. And uh, it's got similar functionality, but it is a little more limited in that sense because it, a lot of times... You can't just sort of assign anything. Um, I find that, like, I, 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 on the other hand, have, have gone completely digital. Um, the only thing analog is, like, the cable coming in from my antenna. And then when I'm even watching... That's, that's going into the TV and it's getting turned into it's digital. It's getting <laughs> turned into digital. And so I got digital TV and then over, you know, just OTA. And then out of the TV, it's optical into the receiver, which is optical. And then out to the speakers, all digital inside. And then the video is HDMI... Mm-hmm. And you have your uh, uh, the web TV it? plugged in the the Dell Dimension yeah. hooked up through HDMI from DVI yeah, adapter. So the and... HDMI is Dell, and then even you know what the Dell Dimension is outputting digital audio using SPDIF analog mini jack out of that sound card. So it's totally digital audio straight to the receiver in that regard as well. Okay, and so there's no interference or anything like that. And then yeah, uh, computer audio has been very noisy. Yeah. It's always been an issue with interfacing with home theater components. Yeah. And then Blu-ray, I, we bought a Blu-ray player in hoping that it might be able to do Netflix over, but then it was it doesn't really seem to do it. But Blu-ray player is all digital HDMI, one HDMI cable straight to the receiver. So, mm-hmm. and then yeah, that's that's it, I guess. Yeah, and the amazing part about this is that uh, unlike previous models that. Like cheaper receivers that have HDMI don't actually do anything with the HDMI. They're it's just an electro, electronic connection. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you have HDMI, upscale. it will just pass it out through through the receiver. Through, it's yeah. like a it's like a switch. A switch, yeah. HDMI there. switch. Yeah. But in the Pioneer, it actually goes through a Marvel video chipset, mm-hmm. and basically your component, your actually your composite video component and HDMI will go through the scaler. And then back out, so it has it works complete control well. over yeah. over that. So basically, it can turn your any input that you can give it. It will output it through HDMI. Unfortunately, it can't take HDMI and put it back to component because of HDCP content protection and all that stuff. Which I would like. It, that's one of the reasons why I'm really sticking with uh, analog is because uh, my projector runs on a VGA port, and projectors can accept component video over mm, that's true. over VGA. So I'm, I'm really keeping it a, an analog plant because otherwise I would not be able to see my content through the projector. Absolutely. So that's yeah. one of that until I get an HDMI cable projector or whatever, right? So, yep. <laughs> Yeah, so that's our, our new home theater systems. And, and one of the biggest things well. actually when I said Ethernet is you can do internet radio and control. So it can play MP3 and WMA streams off the network. So it can either play it off your local network or through the internet. I mean, it's just routing. And uh, the other thing is you can, on mine, my 1325, you can also remote control it. You just it, you go to the IP address that the receiver has. It gives you a web interface just like your router would have. And you can remote control the whole entire unit from the website. Yeah, and mine, it's weird. Like, they just crippled it for fun i can only add radio stations and urls for the radio yeah. stations i yeah. can't do any remote control yeah. my unit has uh three zones so two zones with the main zone has hd and the zone two has standard definition video and zone three is audio only and this is all flexible you can you can even assign certain zones to certain speaker outputs if you're not doing a full 9.1 mm-hmm. you can actually have one of the amp channels inside it 
drive speaker level signals to a second zone, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. So I mean, again, very flexible in that regard, and. Uh, Network control is definitely a bonus because we're all going for like you know home theaters which are fully integrated. You know, you turn on your receiver, your projector yeah. turns on, your screen comes on, or whatever. Right? So, <laughs> so. Have you have you added it to your seventy volt system yet? Mm, not yet, because I have to run oh, the cable, cable back. Yeah. Right? Because my seventy volt is from nineteen fifties. It was a F- FBC amplifier, right? So yeah. it just yeah, yeah. it only takes analog audio. But uh, basically, uh, I was I was thinking, you know, I, I might have to run a lot of analog audio to this location from the rest of the sources like for example here at duck studios i might have to run audio there but now that the receiver has network capability i just have network everywhere in the house so network everywhere exactly so so i was able to just stream the content from duck studios to the receiver i mean obviously network has a slight delay but it's not significant so mm-hmm. in operation great so that's been uh, our sort of home theater Escapade and like for me, it's just been a major re- overhaul. And for yeah. Joel too, he had a Kenwood, uh, yeah, and we, 103 AR, which do, basically two channel. Yeah, <laughs> and an like, FM I receiver. Mean, we we do watch a lot of TV, and we blew up a few of our speakers in the process. We we do watch a fair bit of TV and movies. Like we enjoy that. Um, we sort of do that as a family in a way. Well, anyways, water. I'm just saying we watch we watch TV. So like if you know Kevin's basement, there's not really any t- major TV. The most of the TV watching goes up in the kitchen. So Kevin's just been piddling around. Whereas mine, it was sort of like my dad was like, "Okay, we bought this receiver. Let's do it or let's not do it." You know. So we went about. We just went out one day and we bought all the cables. We bought, went to Pal and bought like 800 HDMI cables and a billion of uh, everything else. And I'm just like, "Hey, well, we'll need a lot of this." And then um, bought. Uh, a front center or a center channel, um, a Bose center channel, and then um, a sub as well. Good thing it's a center channel. You don't need the highs or lows. <laughs> yeah. The, we've had – what happened was is we had some very, fairly nice um, – what is it? What are they called? Marac. Marac speakers from you know, the 80s or whatever. Um, but then one of them blew – which was probably from all the audio t- – I mean, they're just brittle and they die sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So one of them blew. So then we – we we had 7.1, so then we dropped it to 5.1 and used the bookshelf speakers on the bookshelves, um, but they kind of suck. So I don't know. We'll have to look into that and maybe um, replace those with something a little bit better that are not so $30. I mean, they're good speakers, but, you know, when I come over to Kevin's house and I hear his full-range Duck Ducks. Then yeah, there are, those like, are four-way infinity uh reference speakers so, yeah I mean, they're you know they're they're nice speakers so i think we can improve in that way because a lot of times you're just hearing the center and i'd like to sort of broaden that out a little bit and that's one of the different approaches i feel that my infinities are very good in the audio frequency response like it's rated 20 to 20 k and mm-hmm. i really don't doubt that i can actually do that it's got it starts off with there's a 10 inch woofer to uh the famous infinity emitter tweeters which are basically like a coil of circuit board ribbon <laughs> that's floating in a magnetic field, which is why it's really agile. Yeah, it's, it's, totally. it's nothing. There's no way to to right. And whereas Joel has gone the the component solution, where you know the front speakers are just bookshelf speakers. There's a separate subwoofer in mm-hmm. the corner there, and a little and, more modular. Right. Yeah. So, yep. so I mean, the truth of the matter is, bass you can't tell where it's coming from. So it doesn't yep. matter if you have one subwoofer or if it's part of your yep. main speakers or not. Right. So yep. Yep. no, we just you know. We were, yeah, big full range speakers are you know those infinities those are usually a thousand dollars a piece these days so it's 
you know, there's very different approaches. You can go the soundbar approach, you can go the home theater in a box approach, or you can do the modular approach, which is what we both took. Um, in fact, Joel was really thinking about considering buying a Blu-ray home theater know, in a box. It's, yeah. If it's home theater in a box, it just works, right? And, you you know, it sounds pretty good and, you know, whatever, you're set to go. Yeah. I don't know about but these really, soundbars. But really, like, it comes to, like, uh, like modularity. We really enjoy having the modularity, like configurability the modularity. of this. It's a lot more configurable. It's a lot more advanced. You can do a lot more with it. Um, how much we're going to use it, I don't know. Um, but for sure, like, I mean, those home theaters in box, you're not going to switch in your... Um, your HD, you know, your, uh, yeah, your TV or your computer. You like can't I, change I a Blu-ray. A computer, if the Blu-ray player becomes you know, obsolete or it dies or whatever, yeah, it's you're, a lot, yeah, you know, these, these receivers are going to last us for a long time. Yeah, so. basically, and that's true because, like I said, we used the last receiver for 20 years. Joel's got uh, Merak Acoustics went in a business in the 80s, so <laughs> the, that was 70s stuff. At least 80, yeah. 20, 20, 30 years old. So. <laughs> so basically, like our laptops, we want the stuff to last for stuff a while. Last, so yeah. And actually, you know, just looking at these days, like build quality of consumer electronics, it's been going down, down, down. I have so many flat panel TVs in my workshop right now that need to be repaired. Well, that's because you buy Walmart. To <laughs> I, I understand, I understand, TVs, but, but really, like, just like... It's in hard general. to see good build quality, but these yeah. receivers these are, are these are built nice. They're good. They're it's good r- pretty rare to see these days in electronics. Yeah. So, so and and you know, if I would have bought that Sony home theater box, I mean, it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be built the same way. So, and I mean, yeah, you'd get random dinky speakers, and it would probably come with twenty four gauge wire, and you know, yeah. stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> and we set it, up, set it up with awful gauge wire you to replace that or something. I don't know. But anyways, yeah. so yeah, that's been the the home theater experience that we've been playing around with, and uh, it's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, Bearbook. We launched Bearbook uh, in last spring. Where we is Joel and Yuri. Yuri and I, yeah. Um, and so it's been, spring was a good test phase. And then we launched in the fall, which is very successful. We have about 2,000 schedule uploads. Um, and Bearbook, you can go to bearbook.ca and check that out. Um, there's, uh, so you've yeah, got 2,000 students using it. It's basically that you exchange your your. Uh, time, University of Alberta timetables with other uh, students, or specifically your friends, um, and compare who's see who's in your friends, who's in your classes, see who's in your friends' classes now, um, find breaks in between, um, and so we're pretty excited about it. It's fairly very successful with two thousand people in the fall semester, and then we've got almost three thousand in winter who have uploaded their schedules. So it's really spreading quite well. Um, we demoed it at uh, Demo Camp. Um, which was sort of uh, one of my inspirations for sure to sort of build something like this. Um, and they were really, really well received. Um, they, uh, a lot of people were saying, you know, that it was sort of at the heart of Demo Camp, just sort of building something really cool, showing it off, doing a demo without too much, you know, corporate gunk. And we were really happy with how well it was received. Um, and so that was last fall. And uh, right now, yeah, we've got. Um, did very well for this winter semester and now we're sort of moving on to so you know some of the questions that came up at demo camp because there's a lot of interested people there you know see what how how it'll be a business um and so we're, we're looking into um different ways that we can expand to other uh educational institutions how we might sell it to the university sell it you know wherever um it's sort of hard to sell a product like this because it's not really you know it, the fact that it's on facebook kind of scares people off um but uh, 
it's it's sort of the idea and the you know the know-how to sort of build that social network and prove that the the prove that the demand is there for students to socialize about their their university experience in that way. And really your uh, your goal was to just replace because people would always just take screenshots of the yeah. schedule and post you know, them on and Facebook. And that was that was always the original goal. It still is. It's still to to just make that experience a lot better um, because it, it you know it doesn't need to be complicated. And there's been other Facebook apps that have been going towards the same goal, probably in yeah. a more generic fa- way. In it fact, more, I used way, way earlier, I used Courses 2.0, which is a Facebook yeah, yeah, app where you, could enter, where you could enter yeah. your schedule manually. But in this case, you're... But it's not very it effective from, unless it's sort of custom-built yeah, for yeah, the university. Unless I spend the time to put in that schedule. And people aren't going to do that. They're not going to go and copy in their schedule just for a Facebook app just to mm-hmm. share it, right? So No, and, and maybe I'll let in our listeners about a little... Uh, uh, our special project that we're working on um, that is currently called Course Horse. Um, and basically, Course Horse will be a, a far more um, sophisticated course manager tool. Um, it will likely be separate from Facebook, um, but it would still sort of interact with your Facebook friends. Um, and it'll basically help you build your schedule um, because right now, Bear Tracks is a disaster. I mean, even though they've made improvements over the years, it's still very difficult to figure out. First of all, what your courses are requirement, what your requirements are, um, it's very difficult, and it's, it, and and I think that's a that's a huge point for the university because, you know, you can imagine how much time and resources that they spend with um, consultants, not consultants, but um, uh, student advisors, telling people simple things like, well, you need your econ, you need this, you need that. Um, this is something that the computer is designed to do, is to tell you, this is your calendar, this is what you need for, in order to complete your degree. Um, and um, Bear Tracks, well, it doesn't really do that, and it certainly won't build your schedule for you. <laughs> so um, Course Horse will sort of basically do that for you. It'll shuffle around your courses, maybe you know, look into who your friends are, what, you know, experience you have with the the professors that you've uh, are interested in or aren't interested in um and then arrange your courses for you and then after that either register you for you or or do whatever you need to do so it's because we we find it a lot more like more exciting to generally make a tool to do the work for us instead of just doing the work oh of course <laughs> yeah absolutely and 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 to to be able to show that you know to help other people do that it's it's pretty exciting. And so once that you know Yuri's working very hard on that, and we're we're still sort of fleshing out the details about how it all work and and what are the features that we need. Um, but yeah, and then that is a far more marketable pro- marketable product to first of all other universities, but then also just to the university in general. It's, it's a very you can imagine how much of cost savings that would be to them if they could say, you know, rather than having all these. Uh, student advisors in all the departments so and of course you always need those people but yeah yeah yeah. one way you're going to tie it back into facebook is because facebook allows you to log in externally just kind of like how you have got facebook connect yeah so that would work um but we 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 want to step away from facebook facebook has a really it's an awful api it's an awful place to work um but it's all to you know yeah place to be developing and it's also um it's not attractive to uh you know, potential customers, you know, we're, I, this is also a dream sort of thing that, you know, that we might sell this. It's not like we're, you know, employed or anything um, with the university, but, you know, that would sort of be the goal is to be sort of separate and be a distinct 
product sort of thing. One of the so. challenges for you guys is that uh, things are changing from both ends. Facebook is changing their their side constantly, as well as yeah. Bear Tracks is always changing their side as well. Yeah. So. Well, and that's <laughs> the, the thing is, is Facebook. If you there's a little blog post, a news tidbit that came out that bear the that Facebook. Um, the way their developers work is much, very much like a startup, and so their engineers um, show up on Monday morning sort of thing, and they get marketed to product managers that they should come work on their project this week sort of thing, um, which is great. It's a really interesting approach, um, but it, it's also to the detriment of the important parts. There's no unified vision for the API. There's no sense of you know where we're going with all of this. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is famous for saying, like, you know, we don't know what Facebook is yet, you know, and he they, they, they still don't. Um, and it's going to die before, you know, they, they know what it is sort of thing. Like, it, it's, it's this constant evolving thing, and so they don't really have an idea as to what their API is going to look like. And as a result, they just, they just don't keep track of it. You know, they do the very minimum as possible, and so it's very buggy. It doesn't work. Um, but what can you do? Yeah. One other thing is that uh, the U of A has released their own uh, Facebook app, right? Is that is that? You know, yeah, they have a um, no, no, not Facebook app. Or, the uh, iPhone app. Uh, they have okay. an iPhone app. Um, very sophisticated. I'm very, very impressive. Um, it does do a course matcher, but it works over Bump, and so you need to find People your friend physically. physically with an iPhone with the Alberta app, who's grabbed their Bear Tracks table and is ready to bump you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not quite as easy as Bearbook, but uh, you know, and and it does much of the same features. You know, it finds your your uh, breaks for you. Um, not not nearly as advanced. The other feature that we did launch was Bearbook Books, and Bearbook Books will basically t- <laughs> yo dog. We heard you like cheap textbooks, so we put textbooks in Bearbooks. You could textbook while you Bearbook. Um, is what it's currently titling at me in my tooltip. Um, but basically, uh, you know, we've got this information. We, we know what courses you took last semester. Um, and so we can tell you, hey, um, your friend in, uh, you know, in this course is, first of all, you know, he's this guy. He's, he's in your course right now. Maybe you want to split a textbook. And this guy took the course last semester. Um, he might have a textbook he wants to sell you. That's just, you know, it's information we have. We might as well supply it to you. Um, if you want to message them and ask them about it, go ahead sort of thing. Um, it's not really a, a sales thing. Um, it, you know, textbooks is a difficult market. It, you know, we, th- we thought about Bearbook becoming sort of a textbook market. Um, it's very difficult to get into. It's, there's a lot of different places um, that you can get textbooks at different approaches. Some people will buy textbooks. Some people just don't buy them. Some people buy ebooks. Some people buy it from bookstores. From, some people buy it from online. So um, there's plenty of different um, options, and some buy them used from other people, which is sort of what we're going for. But it's not a universal market in the same way that Bearbook is. Um, Bearbook just by itself. So um, we also threw in <laughs> – this is our actual source of revenue is if you click on the Amazon button on your book listing, which actually that now that I think about or, it yeah. – um, yeah, it should display all of them. I think um, it will get we'll get a bit of Amazon dollars for referral. Um, we also were trying to get um, uh, Course Smart, which is e textbooks. Tried to get them on board. They didn't really respond to our request. Sort of thing with their associates program. I don't know what's up with that. We should check into that again. But mm-hmm. um, so that's 
that's exciting that we got a little bit of revenue. Um, they, I don't think we've actually met. Somebody bought a Kindle after clicking on our link. So we got like a fair chunk of money out of that because it's like 9% sort of thing. Oh. So that was good. I think we have about 30 to $40 um, in the bank, but you need to sort of, you need to reach a certain threshold before they'll send you a check. So, yeah, yeah. Well, um, this will still be good to feed Yuri's uh, so, expensive textbook. Uh. <laughs> well, something to, what is nice is to just pay the bills, right? You know, everybody's got bills for hosting or domain, you know, bearbrook.ca, whatever. You know, it's nice to pay those off. We bought a bunch of posters. That was sort of our only investment. And um, we did some Facebook advertising. We had some free credit which we used. Um, so that's, you know, cover those costs. It's nice to get, but I don't think, you know, we're going to make any big money maker anytime soon though. So, mm-hmm. so that's bear book. Um, other projects that have been ongoing with you. <sighs> I've had many projects. Um, I've also been working on the Canadian society of nephrology's website. So, uh, uh-oh. bug detected. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, anyway, basically uh the most recent one was I guess Joel will give you some background on the on, on Yeah, the so with, um uh, we started this in it's actually only in the middle of December that I started and uh we we're supposed to the goal was to have it all wrapped up for end of Christmas break like at the beginning of January. But there was a lot of stuff to go through. Part of it was just getting the you know, getting stuff organized. Like I mean, uh they've got all these doctor members that were sort of part of different committees and they, when they wanted a bio and photo of each one, which was quite a bit of organization. They also got this, it, it's, it's Blackbaud, it's uh, Cantera Sphere. So it's sort of this enterprisey uh, donation and member management like website all in that, one you know? software as a service <laughs> product, um, which drives me nuts. And it's not, the, the back end is pretty awful and the front end isn't that pretty anyway. But, um, you know, that was my job was to get the content in. Um, we finally launched the website uh, yesterday, yesterday already. Yeah, and uh, yeah, CSNSCN.ca. I didn't design or anything, but I did get the content in. And then, you know, they they have um, invited me to stay on and continue sort of improving navigational things and stuff because I mean they got it designed and they spent quite a bit of money, you know, getting this all up. Um, but there's still, you know. It didn't have a breadcrumb, and it didn't have active tab states, so you wouldn't, you weren't, you weren't sure where you were in the site half the time, um, and especially because they sort of were really ambitious about having all these sub, 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 sub areas, and I'm like, you can't do that without a breadcrumb. You can't see where you are. So yeah. I well, added it was some, like the design wasn't fully integrated. With it wasn't the, very, very well integrated, and the problem is, um, is that the the back end was not terribly, terribly flexible. And so a lot of this, this stuff is like jQuery. Like I cringe to say it, but like it's jQuery is doing these modifications to the page because I don't, I can't control the back end that's generating this content. Um, so I would, you know, Yuri and I sort of sometimes we moan about WordPress being a bit of a hack for a content management system. But at least with WordPress, you have full control over the whole system. And there is in terms of the separation between content generation and content administration, very clear. There's a very clear dividing line. It's directory-based. It's theme-based. Everything about it is very clear. And if you want to modify the way things are outputted, it's very simple to do. With this BlackBot system, you know, you had template files, but then the actual outputting of information was oftentimes hard-coded. So 
you know, it's outputting tables for a certain thing, for a table of contents or whatever. You know, it's not something that I can customize. And so in order to change the code, I have to run some jQuery commands to modify the HTML with JavaScript, which is outrageous, right? But, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? I actually, you know, had a call with the Blackboard guy, and he's like, yeah, well, you know, and he's sort of, he's on the ball. Like, he sort of understands, you know, web development and all he says, well, that's why I include jQuery in all of my te- theme templates so that people can modify stuff that way. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's what I got to do. Mm-hmm. This is so. this stems from the fact that you're, it's a, basically a, a website service and not it's a website, website that service. you completely have control There's over. There's still right? a lot of flexibility, right? Like, And, and the, the intent is there, but it's still very archaic. It's still stuck in IE6 world. They want you to use IE6. Like, what the heck? Like, I mean, you know, it's not modernized. And it's because it's a co- corporate thing. So... Um, you know, they've got their little, I I would have just said from the start, look, I can port this to WordPress in an hour. Um, but they've also got a lot of, um, membership management. Um, they accept payment. They do all sorts of different things with, um, the system beyond just the content and the website. So I'm a little more hesitant to just say, look, let's get out of here. You know, I mean, I know you invested in this, but it's time to go. Well, I guess an option that you would have was... To be able to have the content on one side of the website, and then hand right. off to yeah. the 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 payment exception yeah. system when needed, right? Yeah. But Why? it's also it's also user management. You get a member directory. You send out newsletters with it. It's of course it's all stuff that you could do very easily with external services that are fractions of the cost and open source and whatever. Um, but that's you know they they've had you know the, the guy I've been working with. It's sort of it's it's a. Uh, a um, legacy decision sort of thing. You know, he got left with a decision to go with Blackboard, you know, when he certainly knows that it probably wasn't the best decision to begin with. But, but anyways, that's what I was up to with the CSN. Um, we've been working on Wave, which has been sort of... Uh, it's it's a basically an art installation with uh, video and, and user interaction for the McLuhan Centenary, much like the TV wall, but uh, a little more high-tech. Um, we're still working on a lot of the details, and I, I'm not sure how if, if it's going to turn out at all, um, because there's a lot still to happen, and there's a lot of there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, I'd have to say. Um, and so, determining you know what direction we're going to go, and what technology, and what you know what the the what the final product is going to look like is very hard to do when you have a lot of people who are very engaged in in what you know. W- you know what their idea is so uh it could be it could turn out quite interesting it might turn out not turn out at all but uh, i'm i'm mostly committed to the 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 web app development it's going to be an iphone app but a web app so you can use it on anything that you can sort of interact with the display um and then maybe involved in the content rendering sort of the 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 tv or not the tv the video representation of all this information but uh, we'll is see. this related to the McLuhan in yeah. directly it's, it's all it's, related it's directly okay yeah. okay so that's that's the wave project and I'll probably be reporting on that soon um yeah so that's wave i've got my iphone i'm holding it right now i mm-hmm. love it i've got it since august i don't know if i ever mentioned it so i just it's thought i should mention that it. it's been surprising that he hasn't gotten it earlier because you know <laughs> well it, you know i talk about talk about talk about it. I was very. I think we have talked about it before, but yeah. um, six months later, I still couldn't be happier. I, you know, it still feels like a joy to use. 
and every day is just like it's amazing. It's still it's still amazing. That's the amazing part is that it's still amazing. You know that I you know I wake in the morning. Not, it's not like and just I'm, gadgets that we we buy initially. It's yeah. fun, and then we're just like oh, okay, oh, okay we well just, whatever. And it ends up in a big pile of joy. <laughs> yeah, or you know like I get you know the little pocket cell phone. It's like oh, it does all this stuff. But then after a while, you start to realize oh, this is really annoying. Yeah. And this doesn't or, work properly. Or, you know, you and this up, is buggy. Yeah. You open up the browser and like the whole phone crashes. Yeah, and, and you're sort of like well, this is depressing. The, I've I still feel. As great as I did the day I got it, you know, with this phone, I still get a kick out of, you know, using 3G to VPN in and remote desktop. I still get a kick out of being in the middle of the mountains and being, well, that was an interesting situation over there. But, uh, you know, being able to to be connected everywhere I go. Uh, You know, we're sitting at Gull Lake in the basement of this little retreat center. And miles from, you know, we had to walk all the way across to the other building to get Wi-Fi. Um, but I had 3G, and so I set up a Bluetooth internet tethering, and it's we a both connected. Area network, yeah. It's a pan, so you can both have you have more than one. You can do five or something like this. Five computers over Bluetooth to the iPhone, all accessing the internet at the same time. It's wild. It's it's truly wonderful. And then I just enjoyed having the phone. I really thought I I was looking for it. I was thinking, you know, this is something I'm going to enjoy is being able to phone without having to worry about minutes and you know I'm wasting money and all this. It really is wonderful. Joel, Joel came from a prepaid cell phone. Land, came right? from the so. prepaid era, and you know I was always you know concerned about using my minutes. This is great because it just you know you're paying that flat rate. And, you know, I'm never going to go over my 200 minutes because most of my weekend calling, most of my calling is after six in the weekends and then, or to the 10 people that I have on, uh, on my schedule. So that's fantastic. I can video Skype now. I can video Skype people from my phone bi-directional, um, because they've got that now. Um, it's, it's really fantastic. I really, really enjoy it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the only issues that you ever have with it are when I'm present. <laughs> yeah, well, Kevin's IDEN phone tends to overload it a little bit, but <laughs> reboots. But generally, it's very, very stable. So, yeah, yeah. so that's my iPhone. And then uh, Sparrow. Um, so this is going to be your app of the week? This is, or, Spar- is my app of the week. Or the app of the month or um, half quarter. <laughs> yeah, well, for well, app of the – is it really app of the week? I don't think we have App of the quarter, it. I guess. App yeah. of the – episode um it's it's an email client and it's sort of designed around gmail uh, i've been using it for about a week and a half and i've actually uh sort of given up on it um for now um what's interesting actually is mac os 10 lion is going to have a new mail client and it looks exactly like sparrow <laughs> i have to look this up again um but um so basically it's just it looks a lot like the ipad mail um, it's got the left-hand bar with a little preview and um, very, very simple. Um, and it's really got the Gmail threading down. It's designed only for Gmail for now. Um, and so I've got four different Gmail accounts now um, with Google Apps and everything. So in order to manage those effectively, it was getting a little hard with Mail. And Mail tends to keep duplicates of everything. and just wasn't very efficient. Um, so I, I tried out Sparrow. I find it, it lacks a unified inbox, which is... It's nice because I've separated my emails by task. So it's sort of like I've got a work email. I've got a personal email. I've got, you know, a crap email. I've got those nicely separated, but I still want that unified inbox. And the important part is to make sure that the mail client knows how to separate them. So you don't end up replying to business, yeah. to work email with your personal address yeah. or vice versa. Right? You, you don't know, want them to mix up. It's a 1.0. Uh, it's, it's, it was 10 bucks off the app store. Uh, I tried the beta earlier, but it was really buggy. Um, 
overall, it's it's a solid app, but they just need little things. It's the little things like a unified inbox. Like that's what people want. You know, we all know that. Um, and then some other feature like. Uh, Oh, well, just search across all accounts. Um, you can only search. You know, it's very isolated with the accounts. And, Global search is one of the reasons why you'd want to use a, a mail client, client. A mail client versus exactly. G- Gmail because, like, why Google has an insane search. You know, it's great. It's great. Exactly. And it's so. a little bit easier than having to – because the, the main problem is if you have a bunch of Google accounts, you have to switch between them. And even though you can now have more than one sign-in, my UAlberta account uh, doesn't support it. So every time I log into U of A – it basically kills all of my other three sessions, yeah, yeah. and we then I have to log out. It, it's just yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a big mess. So having those four open at the same time is convenient. Um, but anyways, I, I after a while I was just getting sick of it. Um, you, you can't the the sorting. It, it, it's like the iPad. So it's got you know the list of the messages, and it looks elegant and it works elegantly for a while, and then you realize no, I like to sort things. By color, by flag, by red status, whatever. Sometimes it's nice to sort things, and you can't sort with it. So, I don't know. It 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 was a nice idea. I sort of gave up on it now. Um, has built-in growl support. I like the built-in horizontal view, but it looks like macOS 10 Lion Mail is going to have a lot of those features, and hopefully they don't they don't break what I like about it. Um, but uh, we'll have to see how it looks in macOS 10 Lion. We don't really like to like leave our little happy space in no, computing and it was, because you know what you it know, was. Joel it was, was when I was working hard with this CSN because I had all these CSN emails that I piled up from the past two months, and I just wanted to go through all of them to make sure that I hadn't missed any content. Except, it was just so hard to do. It's so hard to keep track of things of the threading, um, because what happens is you it keeps it all threaded at a Gmail, but then if you want to view the 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 older messages within that thread, you have to go and expand them manually. You can't. There's no expand all like there is in Gmail, mm-hmm. and you have to go in and expand each one manually within that thread or conversation. So it, it got cumbersome because there's, of course, and of course, if you don't have people that respond in a Gmail-like fashion, um, it's very difficult to work with messages because all these people, you know, they're just emailing or forwarding, replying, in, you know, to random messages without topic concern for topic or anything else. Um, it didn't really work out. So then I just succumbed to the temptation to return to mail. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joel's been trying out several uh, mail clients. I think I finally convinced him to try a Thunderbird, but he didn't like it. <laughs> there was something there, that was really the bothering Mozilla, me. The I can't Mozilla remember. Quirks. The Mozilla Quirks. No, there's something it's else. Not Mac and, it's not Mac. It was enough, just yeah. the, the editor. Oh, the sending of messages. Yeah. Are you oh. sure you want to send? Oh, <laughs> oh. no. Well, in the progress bar, like, what are you doing? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. I want the window to disappear. I want it to be out of the way. That's why I'm hitting send. You know, if I, I, uh, it, I don't know. So I've got you. You get your little things going, and 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 that's. And we just set up in there. I mean, yeah. I'm a big Thunderbird user. I got Thunderbird plus Lightning, so I can synchronize my calendars. I have a synchronized with Outlook calendar, Google yeah, calendar, that's great. and now my friends can yeah. also sync, uh, subscribe to my calendar and, and see what's going on with me, right? But see, I mean, I've I've got my little setup on Thunderbird, and I guess. Joel likes his mail.app, right? So, <laughs> This is actually really interesting, the new uh, MacQuest 10 Lion screenshots. Mm-hmm. You have to go check that out. It's very iPad-esque. Very iPad-esque. You see the um, iOS is showing up in the Mac yeah. OS. Well, it's and that's crazy, back yeah. to the Mac, right? They've been yeah. talking about it for a while now. So um, it just didn't... 
it wasn't that obvious until they started releasing actually details about Mac OS X Lion, you know, because they were lying. Well, <laughs> they were lying. They were lying about what was actually happening in Lion. Um, so that's my app of the week. And that's it for me. Um, Kevin, is, you're going to talk about telecom and open mallards and Betamax and mm-hmm. key systems? Yeah, well, I mean, I covered the beginning of telecom in my last dog podcast. It was it was a fail fest one, I think, that I, I lightly discussed it. But uh, basically... Now I'm in my second semester at this point, and it's things are starting to pick up because I get to actually work with real technology, work with phone systems. Or there's a telephony course, and I should get down to the nuts and bolts of the of basically the infrastructure. And we're learning about Plano tel- telephone service, which is basically the the basis of of telecom. What most people think of when you say telecom. There's also the course about uh, networking, which is good because I'll get VLSM pounded into my head, variable length subnet masking. Um, basically the slash 24s, subnet masks, 255, 255, 2550, and all that stuff, and how you can split up a, uh, a Class C uh, address into even smaller bits. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that right now. So it's, it's picking it up. So basically I have a bit of a challenge, which is nice because, you know, I, with, when they were going over the basics, I was just kind of like, okay, just go over this, right? So anyway, so that's, that's about what I'm doing in in telecom and leading from that i've been exploring more more phone systems actually i just recently got a 1a2 key system uh genuine northern electric this is from uh, simon's uncle and basically it's a phone system that they used in the 1970s and it was the original key system literally you had buttons on a telephone and this was before the age of digital communications or anything like that it was it was there was one channel one pair to talk on one pair for to light up the lights and another pair to select your line. And uh, on this system, unlike today's systems where you basically you run one pair of wires, two wires to each telephone set, and you have as many lines as the system can handle, you needed to run every single telephone line to the key system. And basically what it really did was assign ringing. Basically if you had – oh, yeah, to assign ringing, like these days we have the luxury of like programming, like do we want this line to appear or ring – or both, or appear only and not ring. Well, in the old system, there was no luxury of that. You actually had to use diodes to block ringing or allow ringing, depending on which direction you had your diode put oh, in. Yeah. So basically that's what the system allowed. And and uh, it had some intercom capabilities if you had that card. Basically, in this case, yeah. it was extremely modular. The frame circuits. is nothing but a piece of metal that holds items and has a power supply in it. Uh, all the functionality was added in through intercom, and if you added one intercom card, you would get one intercom channel for the entire system. So oh, basically, if, if if someone was talking to the intercom and you poked intercom as well, you would just join their conversation because because <laughs> <laughs> there was only one inter, inter, one intercom channel. So and uh, I mean that expanded. There, you could buy a separate intercom switch. So if you want intercom, you really needed to buy another switch separately and then tie that back into the the main system. So it was very cumbersome, and and the system is is hardwired. There's no program. There's no, there's no software. It's electromechanical, relay based, and I mean it's amazing because for me, I've I mean I've never seen these in use anywhere, but I've definitely seen the framework. I've seen, I've worked in offices where they have 25 pair going to each room, and I'm like, <laughs> where would they have this? Because I mean I'm usually putting in a North Star. And at that point, I'm just using one pair of that 25 pair. And I'm like, wow, that must have been a, quite a cabling job when they put that in. But, you know, just to think about... For each phone set. This was the first key system. This was the original key system that they used pairs. in places. Yep, for each wow. 25 pairs, yeah. That must have been... That's like 70s era, right? This is 70s era. It's funny because yeah. we've been watching on Netflix 
um, uh, Mad Men. And yeah, like they're always using their phones. And then there's always the, 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 the patch, well, not the patch bay, but the, what do you call it? A patch bay? What do you patch bay? The patch. Oh, yeah, that is a patch panel, yeah. I know, but what what was it called in telephony? It's like... The 310 jack? No, 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 no. What are you talking about? No, like the, the switchboard? Air, switchboard, yeah. yeah, yeah, the switchboard. <laughs> and they're the girl, the, all these women that work in the switchboard, you know, and they're sort of sneaking in, you know, conversations and stuff. It's this funny. is weird because, like, this was the first time you had automated switching equipment in your building because, mm-hmm. like, only large corporations could afford to hire someone dedicated to plug-in phone conversations, mm-hmm. right? And to transfer, you would take a, a line and, like, plug it into somewhere else. That's 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 essentially how it worked. So, so I mean, relay-based, but this was the beginning of the key system. So, mm-hmm. I mean, normal companies could have access to th- these kinds of features. Yeah. And, I mean, but TVs, even, yeah. even then, I think that even with those key systems, those might be a department thing. But there might still be a. Do you think there might still be the switchboard operator for large for, the entire for building? large buildings for large yeah. corporations? Like I think uh, we were. I was talking to some guy who did the CNN center in Atlanta, and another person who, who worked on a hospital in Atlanta as well. And you were just talking about how like how the system automated some of it, but you know you still had someone answering the phone call yeah. and stuff like that. Because I mean, you didn't but, need yeah. a switchboard operator just yeah. to start yeah. an intercom. Yeah. The difference is but. basically instead of handling wires, you just poke buttons instead, mm-hmm. which was a major like boon to productivity. Of course, because you know you wouldn't get lost or because it'd be easy to lose track of that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. wires, imagine that, right? So, but installation of these things is extremely tricky. I mean, it's very simple if you think about it. There's no programming. If you wanted this thing to ring, you would just wire a line from this thing to that thing. That's mm-hmm. that's about it. But if you had a complex system, it would get Very ridiculously yeah. messy physically. Oh, yeah. And physically, yeah, and imagine totally. having to do a change. I need to find this line. Oh, where is this line in this giant bundle of wires, right? So <laughs> that's that's basically it. And I guess in the 80s, they came out of the electronic key systems, which was mm-hmm. the next. The North Star, which you have. Yeah. yeah. So the anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be putting in the key system. In my workshop, my workshop's going to be my little telephone, telephony museum, museum kind of thing. I'm yeah. going to have it on the wall. I'm going to have it working. And uh, it's basically going back to going back to the beginning of, of local switching inside your building. Yeah, you could have a, you could have like a subnet of you have a subnet telephones. of telephones, yeah. So I could run it off my North Star because the North Star yeah. ATA. ATA, yeah. Right? So that, subset, yeah. I could do that. Other things I've been doing, um, I, I mentioned earlier I was setting up my home theater system. I did hint at the fact that I have a lot of analog equipment, so I've been holding on to my old uh, old, old, old video standards. I think the, the newest things that I have is the DVD recorder and the new cable box, which I'll be talking about soon. Is uh, I still have my Hi8 deck. I still have VHS and uh, LaserDisc. LaserDisc was amazing. Joel was having the biggest time. Oh, man. <laughs> like they've got, We've got these LaserDiscs. They're karaoke. And they're made in Japan, and they're English, like classic American, North American hits. But then all of the, you know, the covers, like the voices are all these, you know, Japanese men and women, you know, with these sort of accents, you know, talking about singing, like, you know, all, what, what were some of the songs we would listen to? Uh, like there's some Beals on there. Yeah, there's some yeah, yeah. Um, Sound of Music. There's also that. Sound of Music, yeah. uh, Grease. You know all these hilarious songs from the '80s, pop songs, and then sung. The, if you look, turn on the vocal track, you know it's karaoke, so yeah, there's you're not, not really supposed to be not supposed to be. Right? But it's right. these hilarious, just hilarious. The more we listened to it, the more we started to realize how hilarious it was. 
and then the stock video. Like, I mean, like you had like most before, like other devices, most of the time it was just um, blue screen, right? Like it was just text on blue screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, encoded or whatever. And actually, yeah, or still images, it. but this had stock video in the background. I mean, that was amazing because you, oh my yeah. goodness, you had video and text, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I'm just thinking about we had a karaoke machine, but I don't I think it was just it was cassette and I don't think there was any titles yeah. on it. Most most basically most of those systems were CD graphics, CD plus graphics. CD gra- yes. That's what it was. CD graphics. And then and actually that's still sort of the standard now. CD yeah. t- plus you still, text. If you buy one now it's and, still like and that. And then yeah. if you want to add stock video, if you want to add video, which would probably gonna be live video with a person, right? Mm-hmm. You'd key it in. You could key it in, right? Well, this is just stock photo video from, like, all these places around Canada. Like, of all places, like, why is it made in Japan? And then we've got Canadian stock footage of those random things. Like, of this Blue Jays game from the 80s. And so, they're, or not even a game, but, like, as a, like, a pep rally for the Blue Jays. And so, there's all these people with Blue Jays, Blue Jays, Blue Jays, all over the place. And then just, like, random footage of, like... The, fo- the cops and their motorcycles, but really bad, too. Like, oh, look, there's all this garbage flying in the wind beside them and, like, no tripod and, like, handy. It was, oh, my goodness. It was freaking hilarious. And then... It was, like, irrelevant to the song. Irrelevant. It was, cool. <laughs> it was, like, you know, and then he's singing about, yeah, like, uh, oh, man. And then there's some that was just, like, out in the Ontario rural areas, you know, like, cows. Like, there was just, like... Five minutes of cows chewing and like tractors. And I'm like, I could have shot this on my grandpa's farm. Like, this is like, I mean, I mean, like, obviously, it's not obviously not a high quality item, but just like, can you imagine singing karaoke and then staring at these cows? Like, how nutso? <laughs> Anyways, yeah. all on these laser discs. And there's a hilarious picture of Kevin holding these laser discs. They look like giant CDs. They really do look like giant CDs. So when you're holding them, it looks like you're like a miniature person holding a regular CD and your entire head has just like shrunk. And then you've got these giant, like these CDs that you're holding. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was pioneering technology, haha, pun intended, Pioneer. because uh, Pioneer did push this technology they were one of the developers and uh, actually they held on to it for very long in fact i was just joking and saying like uh, the brand new pioneer av receiver the sco3 tx still has an rf input for laserdisc <laughs> but i mean this back in the late 80s and early 90s this was uh it was also competing with the rca ced which i also do i that's one of the formats i do have and the CED comparison was that the CED was an RCA system, so they had a stylus. It was a contact-based system. It was basically a record with really fine tracks, and which spun at a really high rate of speed. And basically, like it, you need speed to get the bandwidth for video, six megahertz of bandwidth for video. And LaserDisc was the same implementation, but they did it using opticals, uh, well, optical methods, right? It was based off CDs. CDs was CDs were basically out in the industry at this point and they were thinking you know maybe you can put video on these cds but of course the cd the size of a cd would never hold appreciable video right of course at the speed that you need to be played at furthermore the ability to process video at that time was not was not really developed doing digital video was practically unheard of in fact just doing digital audio through cd rom was amazing right so so doing digital video was not capable. So the video on LaserDisc is analog. It's actually analog video, but received through uh, optical means. 
And while there's two audio tracks, one was an analog audio tracks, which would have been encoded same as the video, and digital audio, which is based off CD-ROM. It's PCM 44.1K audio. So they, basically, that's what that's what Laserdisc was. I mean, Laserdisc never really took off in North America. I think my school has a collection of it somewhere, and I, yeah. yeah, I mean, Both some schools. people have yeah, some certain niches have have these. But you know, I, I've never like, have you ever walked into a movie rental place and been like, oh look, a wall of Laserdiscs? Like it's n- nothing you really saw. Furthermore, <laughs> the Laserdisc was not really able to fit a movie on one side. You would need to flip the movie halfway through. Whereas at that time, VHS was able to fit a whole movie on a on a tape, right? So, you know, in terms of convenience, people never really used Laserdisc. Plus, Laserdisc technology was extremely expensive, 500 to $700 for a player, and the discs themselves would have run $30 or so. So, you know, people didn't want... The $30? Expensive. Yeah, $30, eh? So, <laughs> I, I mean, mean, I I mean of course... The, the, not cheap anyway, but... At that point, doing the, the, the tighter tolerances required to do video on a disc... And larger discs, physically, material-wise, right, would have would have needed more. And like, for example, like, like, like for like making chips, like you know, if you have any defects, you can cut out certain parts, right. But if you have a larger object, any defect would, you know, there's a larger chance of having defects on your product, right. So anyway, manufacturing is was more difficult and everything. So that came and went in the late '80s, early '90s, and uh, VCD was the next. VCD was the digital version of 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 this technology basically when they figured out how to do mpeg compression and suddenly you could fit it onto a normal cd so you know they really need laser just quickly died after that and then dvd showed up we were able to put put movies on one single disc at ntsc spec quality and then they came out with dual layer you know so that took off laser disc dot um, the other thing I've been messing with is uh, Betamax, uh, the beta deck that Simon also gave me. He had, a, he had an old uh, Sanyo Betacord uh, VCR 3640, I think. And uh, Betamax was a Sony uh, product, and as people usually probably know. And uh, the advantage was that basically Sony was always pushing their products. You know, if we make the best, people will come and buy it, right? That's the that's the mm-hmm. the way that they they sold their stuff, and that worked very well for them because people wanted to buy the very best consumer electronics products, right, at the time when they were always the cutting edge. However, I guess in the during the format war when beta versus VHS showed up, people wanted the cheaper stuff. VHS was was cheaper to manufacture, the cassettes were were you know cheaper because they didn't have as many components in them. And uh the equipment was also cheaper, so people didn't really see the advantage of getting beta over VHS at, yeah. at that point. Yeah. And then that was the beginning of the end when the content, we're coming back to the whole content thing we were talking earlier about, like, why do the companies want to own the content, right? And it's just the people go for the content. They don't go for the format. Who cares about, like, what kind of tape it is on, right? It, they want the movie, whatever they want, right, on the on the on the videotape, which was at that point quite amazing that you could, you know, record TV because that was basically unheard of for cons- at a consumer level. So what the other thing is, was beta came first and VHS came later, which was bad because beta had to do the pioneering things mm-hmm. for the industry. Basically, the recording industry raised a huge fit about, about like recording television. They were like, oh my goodness, people can record TV. <laughs> they can record movies, right? So beta, so Sony was the company that had to fight for those 
all of those formats. Basically, like they want to ban recording capability on these electronic devices because mm-hmm. they only want you to sell. They want to sell you pre-recorded stuff. Like mm-hmm. CD-ROM was for the longest Playback, time, yeah. and we were just talking about the recording industry. They wanted you to buy their pre-recorded stuff instead of having you make your own stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah. that was not good. And so Sony spent years and too much money battling their mm-hmm. technology. Before they could even get it out to market, VHS came later. This they didn't have to deal of like After it's defending their yeah. defending their product, right? Yeah. It was it was already like okay, you can record. This is just a different product to record. So JVC never had these issues. They just went out with the product because it was already opened. But Sony opened the the channel in which like these devices could be used in your home. Because yeah. otherwise, you'd never see li- these things. Would have never seen the light of day. We would have never used these. And if Sony did not fight for home recording right mm-hmm. absolutely from a technical standpoint beta is a derivative of umatic in fact umatic yeah umatic was uh what was the television standard which i do have tapes on i just don't have a deck to play it i wish i mm-hmm. did but uh basically it was a standard that they, de- they developed for professional formats and beta was really for for professionals was to have it have a smaller form factor mm, yeah device with the same technology inside right so like because you know if you were doing like field news recording having a a umatic tape is like huge huge so uh, a camera that would record a umatic was basically ridiculous because imagine having that on your shoulders or or whatever actually at that point Mm -hmm. they were two-piece cameras you had you would have a you would have a separate video recorder a portable video (laughs) recorder and then you would have a camera attached to that video recorder separately now (laughs) yeah i actually have one (laughs) of those but this one's a vhs but same same concept right um and so basically, Beta was a technically superior system because it used all of Sony's professional-grade development and technology in this stuff, whereas VHS was going for mass-market cheapness, and and I guess in that case, the consumers wanted the cheaper system because they didn't see the differences between these. Mm-hmm. And only the the video files, or whatever you want to call them, really <laughs> really chose Beta instead because of its superior technology mm-hmm. yeah. and even like even today i'm looking at this ancient uh, hockey game from 1988 calgary 1988 olympics Christine quality itv and it's and you mean i mean i had some tape issues because it was i got it jammed in the machine once but you know past that point you know it's very 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 clean <coughs> and i have vhs tapes from 1980s and yeah. and they're not holding up at all i'm losing like they can't track you know the color's going all screwy there's actually bleed through from being stuck on a roll right but beta never would like they're not subject to these issues one of the other things i noticed is that on vhs if you've ever taken a part of vcr you know you'll notice that the heads are spinning on the tape it's it's a the heads are rotating on the tape mm, yeah and they're always touching the tape and every time like even if you have a pause the heads would still be touching the tape you'd hear it buzzing because the heads are spinning it's spinning and it's against the tape causing friction directly touching the tape whereas beta did not have contact heads in the same way that vhs did in fact it would wrap around a metal guide which was fixed and then the heads would spin around within that guide but they would not like it would not be the whole head spinning and touching the tape so so wait it was completely non-contact it was not non-contact well Less contact, right? Hmm. Like, there was no, like, it's magnetic, so it just needed to be close enough to pick up the magnetic right, signals, right, right. right? But it didn't need to be, like, scraping the, yeah, 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 the yeah. tape all the time. So that's why VHS had issues with pause, because if you left it in pause for too long, it would burn through the tape, which is why your VCR would always time out if you leave it in pause for too long, right? Because it didn't want to burn out. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, Beta never had that issue. Beta could pause. Actually, it was, at that time, comparing VHS technology to Beta technology of the time, Beta could freeze frame with a still image, yep. whereas VHS couldn't. VHS would just flicker all the time because it would always be between, between two and, frames. Yeah. 
and it'd be flickering. But beta has one frame per track. Yeah. That's what they did. Um, initially, beta lost out because you couldn't record as much on it at that time. So beta 1 was the format at the time, and, and VHS had SP at that time. But uh, SP on a T120 tape would give you two hours of recording, but on beta, you would only be able to record one hour. So that was not appreciable because you couldn't put a movie on it. That was one of the things. So later on, I mean, of course, both standards changed to have slower tape speeds. There was beta 2 and beta 3, which was which would have gone slower and slower, respectively. One Beta 2 would have given you three hours on the, on the L750 tape. Beta 3 would have given you like six hours or something like that. And uh, another thing Sony did was to, to combat that was they made beta changers. You, there's a there's a, a unit where you would stack a, a set of beta tapes in, and then it would automatically load the next tape as soon as it would finish. So, you know, just to <laughs> to combat the people who were like, you can't record as much stuff on beta, you know. So they made a changer. That's hilarious. <laughs> they made a VCR changer, which is a really rare product. If I come across one of those, I probably snap it up. But uh, you know. yeah. <laughs> That's so nice. that's a, that's a bit of a background, and I'm just really impressed. I'm just surprised to see how well the format has aged over the years. And same with the other format that was based off of beta. Sony's for, video formats were all very similar, and Hi8 was a direct descendant of this. And you know, my Hi8 tapes from 1993 or before, you know, they're still in extremely good condition. I was just looking over some some old footage from 2003. <laughs> Simon in it, and he was having a fun time finding himself <laughs> at Greenfield. We had some Christmas concert oh, right, 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 video, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you know the the video quality was amazing for yeah, from from that good. time and for the age it is. And I have some, you know, I have a bunch of archive VHSs. I do like from, for example, two thousand five with global switch to the teal theme that would they use now. You know, I can't even like it's awful because the red's bleeding all over the place, and and it's just a, a technical deficiency, right? And I'm just like, you know. All these formats are they going to last? Yeah, for the absolutely. historical archival purposes that we we want them to do, right? Yeah, so. well, and that's obviously why studios chose beta. So yeah, yeah, and actually the the cool part was uh, beta cam that is still used in the industry, TV industry these days, is was the same as beta. It was physically the same. Mm-hmm. That's what I was starting off by going like you know it was developed initially for the professional market, which yeah, kind of glommed into the consumer market. Yeah, yeah. Of course, beta evolved into itself as soon as you know beta. Beta Max, which was the consumer format, didn't go, didn't work out as well. And Beta evolved. There's, uh, I think, City TV and Edmonton still uses Beta SX, which is uh, digital MPEG oh, two yeah, yeah, on yeah. Beta. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's Digi Beta. Digi Beta. There's Digi Beta afterwards. Yeah, we're talking about. And uh, HD Cam. HD Cam is still a tape form that is used. Yeah, and yeah, all HD Cam is directly to related beta? to Beta. It's, really? it's exactly the same. Same content. The yeah. same same physical form factor. Oh, okay. Different tape inside. This is the material, the tape material was a higher grade. Metal oh, evaporated right. was what we ended up using. Right. Was okay. Sony ended up using also in high eight was metal, metal particle tape. Right, so, right, right, right. Um, yeah. you mean cool. like the legacy of that has lasted till today? It's still existing and it's evolved to its digital format. But you know, I guess the consumer didn't really care about the technical aspects of it. So we'll see how the, we basically saw how those went. But you know, I was always missing that from my video collection. So now that I have it, I had fixed it with a plumbing washer. Actually, the the uh, the belt drive got yeah. dried and basically like because of something of this vintage, you know, it's it's expect like I expect something like that to happen. Mm-hmm. So I just put a plumbing washer around the capstan roller. <laughs> I got tape transport again, so yeah. that was quite cool. Yeah. 
The other thing yeah. I've been doing is uh, digital cable. Finally switched to digital cable. I mean, uh, five years late from everyone. I, I kept thinking Shaw would charge me insane amounts of money for, for HD or something like that. But it turns out you just need to buy the box. So, uh, I mean, this probably shouldn't be news to anyone, but... It took me long enough to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. And so you got two different boxes, right? Yeah, yeah. So I got some of the newer ones, the DCX3200s, which are brand new HDMI, everything, and very small compact form factor. And, uh, well, basically, the, you provision it with Shaw, and they give you the content that works. You know, that's all you expect from it. And actually, now I don't need to buy TVs anymore. I just use computer monitors on the on the box. Built in HDMI. What's the difference between DVI and HDMI? Nothing, yeah. What's the difference between a TV and a computer monitor? Not much to size, yeah, right? It doesn't really matter, yeah. So, Especially with the cable box. Cable box. Cable <laughs> box. If you need an actual tuner, then that's a different story. But at the same time, if the cable box is doing all it for you, it's doing, the, it's doing the job of the tuner, right? Yeah, I'd always hook up VCRs tuner. to my TVs before, yeah. but this is the digital equivalent of it. Yeah. Of course, for myself, I don't watch all that much TV, and I valued front panel control, so I got the old refurbished DCT6200. Which is uh, right now they're on sale for ninety nine bucks at various places. In fact, oh, okay. uh, they sold out really, really fast. I had to go all the way to the north side to pick mine up because I mean, I, I mean, last I was like, well, surely London Drugs still has theirs because I know London Drugs stocked a bunch of them, and, <laughs> and no one ever goes to London Drugs to buy electronics. Nope, they sold out all of them. So I was like, that was pretty amazing. So people want those refurb boxes. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So one of the projects that we we did at this tea party, we Today, usually do yeah. duck podcasts or tea parties, was uh, uh, Joel's Inspiron eighty six hundred, which apparently has been living in a box for the last forever. <laughs> it was briefly used. Well, not briefly for about a year. We used it as a uh, media center PC. Um, I sort of I want to upgrade it because it wasn't playing Netflix very well, and I think that was mostly a Chrome issue. I know a Firefox issue. Um, Firefox, uh, I don't know. It doesn't handle plugins very well. and was causing quite a bit of problems with that. So I switched to Chrome. Well, actually, no. First, I switched to uh, this Rambus computer they got from Kevin. And then uh, we also uh, switched to Chrome because once I upgraded to the Rambus, it was still having issues. And Chrome seems to be a lot better in terms of web web video performance and sort of a known issue it around the web. comes down to the fact that Netflix is using Silverlight. No, but it's a known right? issue also, on the web yeah, that the yeah. Flash and, yeah. and Silverlight, Light. it doesn't perform as well on Firefox. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just sort of a sign of the times that Firefox needs to up its game, I think, in general for all of these things. But um, So, yeah, we're working on the 8600. Um, it's got actually you know, much of the um, same configuration as Kevin's Dell D620. Um, and so it fits in his dock, and uh, we upgraded the firmware on it because it needed uh, it couldn't charge, and I just assumed the battery was no good. Well, was no good, but, but then it wasn't see, actually yeah. charging it. Yeah. I was, was checking. I checked the battery, and it said twenty 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 six percent wear at the time, mm-hmm. and I was like twenty six percent wear is nothing because my laptop right now yeah, is fifty four point nine percent wear. I'm like half a battery, so this is still a pretty good battery, I yeah. think. So it wasn't charging, and I thought back, okay, so it's not the battery issue because like we if we put on a charge for a second the battery status meter would light up, you know? So yeah, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering if, because um, there's also the Inspiron something or other, 6000 in the sound booth, and it's had trouble um, charging for quite a while. Like, it hasn't done it for a long. It just flashes orange. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not detecting the battery, similar to the situation. It's detecting it, but it doesn't want to charge it. I wonder if it just needs a BIOS update as well, because that's what we did. We updated the BIOS. And it had no I, problem the firmware was on A02. It was on, and then we put the, it all, yeah. we upgraded it to A14, which yeah. is many, many so revisions several from revisions, Dell, right? Yeah, so, so, anyway, I thought of this because I bought an Acer Aspire 1 netbook 
a while ago. And I purchased it from the brick because, like, they sold it as is for, like, 100 bucks, And I was like, okay, why not? Because netbooks were the thing at that time, right? So I just had to get in on it. And I got home and I was like, oh, look, the battery didn't actually work. I didn't actually check that when I bought it. This sucks, right? And then I was like, oh, this sucks. The hell? So I ended up just upgrading all the drivers. I put in the, the put in new firmware on the machine. And guess what? The thing would tr- start charging again. So And it works very well to this day. In fact, it outbeats my D620 in, in battery life. <laughs> well, it's got the Atom processor. Exactly. Yeah, very, very power saving. So anyway, it was just seeing if I could apply this the idea to this Inspiron, right? Problem, yeah. I mean, laptop batteries, are, laptop batteries aren't really special. They're all ACPI based. So... You know, if it works on that computer, this is also PC-based, yeah. you know, so yeah. I was thinking I could apply to this situation. Plus, you know, we were having other issues. It wouldn't boot off, like, certain partitions or some crazy setup that you had there, so. I don't think that was my I don't think it fixed okay. it. Either, okay, okay. Um, I thought we do have a caller who might be able to call in um, to join us. Uh, Aaron might be able to join us for a little bit. Um, and I thought maybe we could discuss uh, radio uh, in Edmonton, the recent changes to um, the addition of Now Radio, the addition of uh, Easy Rock, the changes, yeah, the changes, yeah. Because yeah. she might have some input on that, so we're just going to call her up on my iPhone on speakerphone and see what happens. So one of the recent changes that occurred in the Edmonton radio scene. Just wait, is, we'll uh, wait, we'll wait for Aaron that, yeah, to, to yeah. Uh, get on the line here. Okay. But um, okay, oh, Joel's going to try out his iPhone, spiffy iPhone. <laughs> just waiting for the her to pick up. She's at work right now. Hello. Oh, hi, Aaron. Welcome to the Duck Podcast. Well, thank you very much. Um, we're just about to discuss um, radio station in, radio stations in Edmonton, um, and uh, <laughs> we felt that you might have some it's input on that. Joke that was the death of Easy Rock. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. See, Aaron knows what we're talking about. I, I was trying to think of something that Aaron would be able to contribute um, fairly easily and wouldn't be able to be totally lost in. You had to dumb down your subject matter. No, so no. It's easily. it's always radio stations in Edmonton are always a relevant topic on the Duck Podcast. But we had just finished talking about BIOS updates on the Inspiron eighty six hundred and figured that might be a little bit out of your range. So, um, so what are the what have the recent changes been, uh, Aaron? What are some of the changes that have gone on in Edmonton? Well, first of all, Now Radio is still calling themselves Edmonton's brand new music station, except that they celebrated their year anniversary, and we're talking about it all day, like this week. If you're a year old, you're not brand new. That's valid. Yeah, that's very true. A year old is a toddler, not a newborn. That's, valid. <laughs> that's very valid. Yeah, and. Uh, um, with Easy yep. Rock. Um, so Easy right. Rock, when, when did they go off the air, Kevin? Hmm? They left the air sometime. On uh, one of the Fridays, a Friday. I, I, think I sent was, an email. Right. It was 14th, I think. Three or four weeks ago. Friday's this year. Yeah, it was a Friday. No, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah a couple, I think it was the 4th or something like that? 4th. Let me check this. Let me check this. I sent an email to everyone. <laughs> um, and so the new format is, um, what is the th- It's Virgin Radio. Yeah, it's Virgin Radio, So yeah. they've licensed the Virgin brand from, what's his name? Bryce, Richard. Richard Branson. Richard yeah. Branson. Yeah. And uh, so they've just licensed that, and then they're playing, what are they playing, Aaron, now these days? Like, I don't know, ridiculous top 40 stuff. Like, we turned it on one morning in the bank. So I'm talking with my mouth full because I'm on my lunch. <laughs> That's okay. But no, we turned it on one morning in the bank, and it was like Britney Spears. We were like, this is not easy, rock. And so right now in Edmonton, there aren't a whole lot of options that are, um, I would call it easy listening, I suppose. It's, it's soft rock. Um, there's plenty of hard rock and top 40. 
Um, what are the closest things that are available? Well, Magic 99 migrated into Up Radio, right? So it's 99.3. And it's basically the happy station. I don't know. They say it's feel-good radio, which I don't understand how that is a genre at all. But um, it apparently is. And I think that's, for most people, is filling the niche that Easy Rock filled. Right, I just, yeah. I, I don't know. I thought Easy Rock filled a pretty big, um, had a pretty large demographic. Yeah. Because you know, every time you go to the dentist or every time you go to the bank, Easy Rock is playing. It's, like it was just everywhere. It's something that was could be sort of played universally and yet wasn't sort of totally cheesy. It could be appreciated by uh, broad, broad generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, exactly. So I don't understand that decision, but that's fine. That wasn't my decision. I don't need to understand it. But I think a lot of those places are yeah, migrating to, to up. Yeah, and so do you the think... it's just silent. Like, we're, we're just quiet. We haven't turned on the radio. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so do you yeah. think that um, there's any chance of... Easy Rock reverting? Do you think the demand is that much, or do you think people are just switching to Up, and that'll be sort of uh, the new the new standard? Well, I mean that's the thing with Easy Rock. It was it was always a really passive thing. Just every workplace would just kind of turn it on in the background. So I don't think any of those places are going to be livid that Easy Rock is gone and driven to have some crazy demand for Easy Rock. I think they're just going to kind of be like, oh, Easy Rock's gone. I guess we'll switch or we'll like put on a CD or. You know, like, it's not a huge demo. The demographic is not going to be protestant. Yeah, they're not going to protest the change as because they're workplaces. They yeah. don't have time. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like I mean, Easy Rock was in my mom's car. I'm pretty sure Easy. Or my mom is not going to write an angry letter to 104.9. And like, <laughs> I want my car music. Yeah, back. as much as the modern generation. Yeah. One of the stories that Simon shares with us is that uh, one morning, the morning after is that uh, Simon's mom was driving Simon to school and she couldn't figure out where her radio station was. So she forgot to drop off Simon and drove directly to work because she was so distracted trying to find the radio station. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, like, that's definitely what happened. That's, yeah. yeah, so, I mean... I mean I, we had one day where my coworker. And of course, I was informed on the switch to Virgin Radio thanks to Kevin's Facebook, but most people were not. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and so my coworker is like freaking out at the radio and she says, I can't find Easy Rock. All I can find is Britney Spears and Country. See, that's like, see, not gonna find Easy Rock I, I find that the most interesting because there's been a lot of changes in the radio environment um in Edmonton for the past three, four years. Huge changes. Um but it's really it, it really didn't make any sense. I mean all these other stations, you know, Capital FM, um, you know, a lot of these different changes, they just they they went fairly passively because it made sense. Um, they were tired stations. I I don't know. Easy Rock held its niche, and so it, it's definitely had a big impact. Mm-hmm. So, well, here's some background. I don't know, I'll, I yeah. Thought it was really weird. That they would just yeah, it's a pretty loaded market, though. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give you guys some background, okay? Easy Rock started off in the Easy Rock started off in the standard radio family when SRI owned all these stations. They also had they also have a bunch of stations in in the BC area. They had Penticton's, uh, Golden, you know, all, all along the highway. They had the interior BC covered with their market. And basically, what happened was Standard Radio gave up or got bought by Astral Media. And it somehow turned into Astral Media. 
and all these radio stations are owned by Astral. And Astral has launched Virgin radio stations in Toronto and Vancouver in mm. large markets, okay. right? And but maybe they don't really understand. They don't understand because yeah. because the radio market is very personalized. You know, you have to tailor your content to the community you're trying to serve. Otherwise, you're not serving your community. And Astral does not have offices here. Astral's out in the east. They're uh, in Toronto. Yeah. And they figure, you know, if the format works in Toronto, if it works in Vancouver, it's got to work everywhere else we try to flip it. You know, it's just, you know, this format, drag and drop, done. You know, it's got to work. No, but it's not. I don't think that's going to work. The millionth time in my life, Edmonton is not Vancouver or Toronto. Can we please stop trying to be? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. So that that's the thing. But you know, you, you can't explain that to the corporate people that don't yeah, actually go to the places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's basically what's been happening. And you've noticed that uh, CI Up, Rolco Radio owns Up and Now Radio, and uh, right. New Caps Capital FM. They've all they've both been taking out full page ads in both Edmonton's newspapers, trying to attract listeners because they know that people there's there, there's, there's a missing there. there's a missing area here. So. But the thing is, like, people used to listen to Easy Rock because it was a mixture of both of them. Now you have to decide. Do you want newish, random mixes of, of, of popular-only songs, or do you want, like, oldies, 80s, 70s kind of yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, no, so it's very segregated. Now, now you can't have both anymore, and it's making me really mad. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Great. Well, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for uh, participating in the Duck Podcast. Um, we hope to have you again uh, very soon, perhaps in person or live. Um, but thanks for uh, taking a few minutes of your lunch break for uh, joining the conversation, as no, now radio likes to call. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay. See you. So yeah. that was, so, uh, you know, that's that's Edmonton's radio situation, and you know, we've we've had a lot of flips around here, but it was always niche markets. For example, when Magic Ninety Nine switched to Up Radio. Uh, it was really because there was no one listening to Magic. It was, you know, there was like it was a zero point six yeah. on the uh, BBM personal people meter PPM actually. PPM. Uh, yeah, because yeah. uh, actually we we I think we did we talk about this where people wear yeah uh, yeah I think we did yeah. basically little devices little on their devices. belts that pick up the audio that you're we listening. We discussed that last time. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and just just refresher and basically it attracts the things that you've been exposed to. Yeah. So so they, it's no one was listening to, to Magic. I think the last person I knew was uh, Mr. Hardwick would listen to Magic 99. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it got very jazzy as time went on. But, mm-hmm. you know, so that was anyway, that was because Rolco, when they came into the Edmonton scene, they were under a restricted license. They had to do a really niche format because ah, all the other formats were d- done and done go. in Edmonton. Yeah. Edmonton has the most radio stations per... For, for the demographic we have, we also have the most roads for the for the demographic. You know, we have some odd things going on in the city, and mm-hmm. and really, do we really need all these radio stations? And and the, the problem is, all these stations are coming in; they're going to fill in these niche markets, which is okay. But then they'll they decide follow. after a few months that they're, they're going to try disappear. and go for some popular music, uh, you know, genre. So that's the issue here: is that now we have a lot of overlap, especially in the top yeah. forty. Like, how many stations can you think of that are doing that? Right, and. And, and the issue is, like, there's a large monopoly. For example, like, country music in Edmonton, for most listeners, is dominated by choruses kissing, right? Because, like... Yeah, it's hard to penetrate those. And, you know, team. even uh, Capital, CKRA, was doing Big Earl for a few years, but, you know, they couldn't get the market share, even of giveaways and all that stuff, because, you know, people don't change, you know. we So they dominate in that department, so basically... Yeah. Yeah, no, so that's been the radio scene, and, uh, yeah, I think that's... That's pretty much it. I think we're 
almost two and a half hours now. So just one last thing, like I was just talking about laptops before we were before we did the uh, the phone in caller. I mean, I've been I've been holding on to my D six twenty laptop just as almost as long as Joel's been holding on to his MacBook, and I've been trying to squeeze squeeze a few more years out of it. I my latest upgrade was to put in a solid state drive. Which to me is makes sense because I, I value durability and I value the, the the performance of it. And even if it's only sixty four gigabytes, I don't need the mass storage on my mobile computing because I have servers with two terabytes of storage, no problem there. So I've been actually really liking it. Um, power has been has been good, and also the lack of freaky clicky noises because you know when the hard drive makes noises, you really fear for your data at that point. And also, uh, like, ability to work in the cold. Hard drives always had issues tracking when your computer was cold or you're working outside or whatever. SSD, absolutely no issues. So very happy with this technology. I, I, I got it during Boxing Day because yeah, I Boxing wanted Day. to see if it was a flip or if it was going to be a flop, you know, if this technology is really all it was, you know, decked out to be. But, you know, I've been really impressed with its performance. And, you know, I haven't had, like, Flash dying on me in segments yet, you know. So <laughs> time will tell for this technology. But, yeah. you know, I'm very yeah, happy with it. Yeah, it takes some time, mm-hmm. usage and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. And I ordered batteries for my for my laptop. I mean, it's, it's been four years. So, you know, my, the power has been well-cycled. My batteries have been extremely well-cycled. So just put got some new batteries, a uh, primary and a modular bay battery. I missed how the old laptops, you know, on my C-Series, I could put in two batteries at the same time. At that point, you could put in two identical batteries into each of the modular bays. But on the new, on the D-Series, you have to get a special modular bay and then a primary. But, you know, I'm going to try that out. Hopefully, I'll get the 10 hours of battery life that I used to get out of uh, my other dual battery computers. Yeah, yeah. So just trying to hold on for a bit because, you know, I mean, I could wait for technology. I could wait for Sandy Bridge to mature or whatever, right? But I'm, I don't really see the need for brand new mobile computing solution as long as this one well, fills the need just fine right you upgraded about a year after mine so it's still i think you're only four years right yeah mine's four years yeah, four years yeah. So. yeah. very good mm-hmm. well i think that is the duck podcast yeah, for this I week mean, i mean I, we could have gone on, gone we, on we could have gone on way longer, longer because but, there's so um, much to catch up is, on this yeah. uh two two and a half hours is probably two plenty. hours no two and three quarters hours Two, two yeah. hours 45. I think so. uh, <laughs> episode 12 was 104 minutes. Uh, I think we've, that's probably baking a record. So, so yeah, until next time, which will hopefully be one of these days, one of these sooner rather than later. Um, I'm Joel. We had our guest, Aaron Valentine. Uh, I'm Joel Adria from joel.ca, J O L E.ca, and on Twitter at, at Joel. Yeah, and I'm Kevin Lau from AHDR, still doing HDR. <laughs> HDR Networks. Yep. And this has been the Duck Podcast. Yep. Duck. 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 <laughs>